And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. His most imperious majesty, Jabba the Hutt, says, then transfer out, freak. You belong in the circus, right next to the dog-faced boy. I have come here to kick bubblegum and chew ass, and I'm all out of ass. No, wait. And now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner. He's an asshole. Chris Honeywell. Boy, is he strange. It appears we have lost our sex appeal, Captain. Yes. Welcome to Two True Freaks. It's a special episode of Two True Freaks that we're calling 12 Angry Men. And we're all here gnashing our teeth, wailing and pissed off because we're all here to discuss the brand new Man of Steel movie. And let me just give you a quick rundown of what's going to happen. Everybody here, all 12 of us is our, all 12 of us is going to give us our, <laughs> our review of the movie. And we're all, we're all going to get five minutes to sort of sum up what we think of it. And then it'll be a free-for-all. So let me uh, tell you who you got. You got me. I'm Chris Honeywell. And in the studio with me is Scott McGregor, who you may recall from the um, Star Trek Star Trek Into Darkness episode. And also we've got Paul Spataro, Christopher Warden. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, Scott Rifen, who is from the brand new Two True Freak show, Dinner for Geeks, so you should go listen to that. We've got Dr. Bill Robinson, the hair metal hero. Bob Fisher, who's brand new to Two True Freaks. He and he and Chris Warden are the TFNGs of the of the night. Um, back, back once again from uh, from the Into Darkness roundtable. We got Dave Atterbury. Also, J. David Weeder. Um, of course, for this podcast, we have to get Michael Bailey, so he's here. And, of course, also, Jonathan Kreitz. So, what we're going to do is we're going to start right out. And since last time, after everybody gave all their opinions, the last guy to go was uh, <laughs> Scott McGregor. We're going to let him go first, so he gets the fresh, 
clean first opinion on no pressure. Five minutes, man. No right. pressure. Well, first thing I want to say, actually, the one thing I think we can all agree on tonight, or uh, is that it's the best of times and the worst of times to be a comic book, science fiction, fantasy fan. Um, we've finally got the technology and films that we can see anything that has been imagined on a page. We can see it on a screen now, and that's just the best part of everything. That said, I'd like to be able to go to one of these movies and either completely love it or completely hate it, but it's usually some kind of bittersweet mix of the two with everything I see these days. And so I've tried to go now with the philosophy of this is just another creative team taking over a property that I love. This is just, you know, it's not Claremont Burn anymore on the X-Men, it's the next team to take it over, and um, which was Lee and... I don't even remember that far back anymore anyway but I just try to look at him like that now that it's just you know somebody else's interpretation of a long-running character and I think if you go into it like that you're gonna have the best time and that's what I try to do but my thoughts specifically um, as far as the plot uh, I liked it generally I was a little surprised uh, like Chris here that uh, I enjoyed it as much I, I was able to stay in the story I think even better than I was with like Star Trek um, it swept me along and I was surprised by Zack Snyder's apparent evolution as a filmmaker or at least maybe a departure from his other stuff that we're all used to um, hats off to him for staying away from the slow-mo but I like the plot I like Zod's reasons for coming to Earth uh, actually better than I did Superman 2 uh, there's a little more explanation on how he got out of the Phantom Zone, you know, and it wasn't just, well, I was in the right place at the right time when a nuclear bomb went off in space. We're free. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, i, I got to be in the camp where, you know, Superman doesn't kill and there was a little too much collateral damage in some of the battles. Uh, some of the story turns that they deviated from, you know, accepted canon I guess were a little extreme for a reboot in my opinion uh, the action was just you know amazing the best that money can buy obviously they said good that Zack got away from the slow motion um, some of the final destruction got a little you know noisy and a little too CGI I just rewatched the Avengers today and said I hate to make the comparison but I will and <laughs> that they did the citywide destruction thing a little better and the major destruction was a little more implied in the Avengers I think and also you had the scenes of the mop-up you know the actual news clips at the end that kind of showed you the more human side of it so I think Avengers did it better that way um, and there was just too much in Man of Steel and just too many times like you know the big contention is that Superman could have got them away from the city a little more um, and I couldn't have done anything about the huge city destroying machines, but the actual Zod fight. As far as the actors in it, I think they all nailed it. Um, like Shannon just like chewed up scenery left and right with Zod, you know, almost. I didn't think it was too extreme though. You know, it wasn't like we didn't get the kneel before Zod moment, but he he had just enough layers of cheese and to to make it effective without being silly I think but uh, you know uh, Larry Fishburne knocks it out of the park with whatever he does so that didn't really bother me as far as the whole Perry White thing the one thing that did bother me about the little sub characters was the Jenny Olsen thing 
I don't care that you turn Jimmy Olsen into a, a female character, but do something with them then. If you're going to make such an extreme change, at least give the character a line or something like that. <laughs> it was Henry Cavill and uh, what's her name who did Lois? Uh, Amy Adams, is it? Yeah. Um, good enough. You know, uh, Cavill's the new Superman for good or ill. He, he owned the part. She did fine with what she was given, which wasn't much, but um, overall I had a good time with the movie. Um, I would give it, you know, the proverbial thumbs up, I guess. It was uh, worth the money, and uh, it didn't destroy Superman for me, didn't rape my childhood. Um, I just took it for what it was, you know, another set interpretation of the character, and I thought it was an adequate one, except for the things that bugged me, which, you know, I, I would have wrote it different, and that's how I usually feel about most of these movies, but, you know, I take what I get, because I'm not the one pulling the strings and, and putting them up on screen, so... All right. That's that. All right. One childhood hymen intact for <laughs> Scott McGregor. All right. Next up, um, I'm going by my my um, Skype list here. So, Paul Spataro, you are next to Rooney. All right. Uh, next to Rooney. Much, much like Scott with the best of times and worst of times, I have a little bit of a problem with that whole thing because I think right now in this media age with the internet and everything, there's just too much hyperbole for every movie. Every movie has to be the best movie I ever saw or it has to be the worst movie I ever saw. And the reality of it is most movies are somewhere in the middle. You know, there's just not that many you know, movies that you consider, you know, really to be great. And there's not that many that are awful. Most of them are just enjoyable movies. And in that lines, when I walked out of this movie, I enjoyed it. Uh, ultimately, like when I really thought about it afterwards, uh, I would say I enjoyed it more than Iron Man, which I was a little disappointed with and more than Star Trek, which I actually really did enjoy. Uh, when I lined up the good and the bad of the movie, there were actually more bad points than good points. But the good points outweighed the bad because they were just more significant in my mind. And the bad points were more more along the nitpicky line for the most part. It's not that the movie was without its faults, but I overall thought it was really good. <clears throat> On the good side, I liked Henry Cavill as, as Superman. Uh, facially, he gave me a little bit of a Tom Welling vibe, which I thought made it a little bit easier to accept him in the role. Uh, I thought Russell Crowe knocked it out of the park. I thought his part was excellently written and acted. Uh, I just thought it was great. Uh, the battle at the end of the movie just kind of made me think. I know some people thought that that was overdone, but it just made me sit and think, wow, we, you know, when Superman 2 came out, just imagine if they had this kind of special effects, what they could have done with the battle back then. And along those same lines, I thought Zod was really good. I thought he was presented as a three-dimensional character. I thought the acting was great. But I sat there thinking, you know, what would Terrence Stamp have done with this role 30 years ago? And I just think, you know, it could have been awesome. Uh, my main criticisms of Zack Snyder going into this movie is that I've always felt that his characters really just didn't have heart. You didn't sit there and relate to them. You didn't really care what happened to them it just seemed like a soulless presentation whereas this movie seemed to overcome that problem uh i'm kind of glad that they saved lex luther for the next movie and i'm hoping that we may see lex luther and and brainiac in that one 
Uh, I also liked the way it was written as far as the military goes. They were unable to defeat the threat that was before them, but they were not presented as inept or impotent, uh, which very often in these movies they are. On the bad side, my biggest criticism in this movie uh, was Pa Kent. I thought Kevin Costner, I thought the part was poorly written. I didn't think it was all that well acted, but I thought the, the way it was written was probably the biggest part. I think he was somewhat miscast in the role. Uh, he was presented with some, as someone with a philosophy that made Clark an outsider. And I think Pa Kent's role is to give Kal-El or Clark that humanity and to teach him that he is, you know, he has the values of, of a farm boy, not to tell him he's an alien and he's an outsider and he has to hide, uh, I also kind of thought that his his whole attitude just seemed defeatist. I see him as more of a Captain Kirk type character who does not believe in a no-win scenario. When Clark came to him and said, should I have let those people on the bus die? His answer shouldn't have been maybe. His answer should have been no, but you should have found a way to save them without them seeing you. Something along those lines. And I thought his death scene almost seemed pointless. I understand the message they were trying to present, but it just seemed so stupid that he went back for the dog and, you know, sacrificed his life in that. Whereas he could have let Clark do it in a way where people wouldn't have realized, you know, there, there are ways to get around it. I thought there was a little lazy writing with him. Uh, I thought Lawrence Fishburne as Perry White was good, but I thought the part seemed superfluous and kind of was wasted in the movie. I'm kind of hoping he'll have a bigger part in the next movie when Clark is actually working at the daily planet. Uh, the sound quality in the movie I thought was poor. Uh, it was extremely loud, possibly the loudest movie I've ever seen. It seemed to assault the senses and there was a certain tinny quality to it, uh, where it almost seemed like the treble was too high on it. So that was a problem for me. And, uh, I saw it with my kids and at points I looked over and I saw the two of them covering their ears because it was such an assault on the senses. I thought there was a little bit too much heavy handed, heavy handed Christ metaphor in the movie. Uh, just, you know, a little, a little over much there. Uh, I would have personally preferred to see the movie presented in a linear fashion instead of jumping around the way it was, but I kind of understand that they did that to kind of intersperse some action into it, to keep it from being too slow moving in the beginning. Uh, the movie certainly could have had a lighter tone overall. I think you could have added a, a little bit more humor in certain spots. And lastly, my biggest disappointment is Diane Lane was not hot. I grew up, you know, the last 30, not grew up, I've been <laughs> an adult for the last 30 years, but over the last 30 years, I've always thought she was one of the hottest women, and I was very disappointed. I don't know if it's just makeup or how she was, uh, how she was, you know, how she's aging now, but it was a little disappointing. Uh, it seemed very clear to me that this was the first act of a multi-act show, and uh, I fear what they're going to do in act two, because I think it's going to get darker still i think they're going to play on that xenophobia i think they're going to have lex luther you know try and feed that to the public and i fear that it may get too dark and that's my biggest problem uh that's about it uh ready to hand it over to the next person all right well uh on mute scott mcgregor and i were talking about we do my kent yeah, to say she was actually too hot to be Maquette. I, I didn't say I wouldn't do it. But, but Diane Lane was, it was the same thing with Sally Field as Aunt May. I just know they I, needed to go older for both of those because 
because it made me feel because you know I was I've been hot for Sally Field way back in the day. Now you don't want and to be Diana hot Lane for Aunt and, No, and now I. Yeah. But no, it's, nobody wants to be hot for Aunt May. For Aunt May or Ma Kent. No, it's just wrong. So, Except yeah. apparently. Oh, yeah, Annette O'Toole. You know, well, I was about to say Annette O'Toole kind of ruined Annette my O'Toole. perceptions of. A... <laughs> but you know what? Annette O'Toole kind of ruined my perceptions of a hot Ma Kent. By just casting Diane Lane, I thought they upped the ante, and then. Like I said, maybe it was just the way she was made up for the movie, but I didn't think they did up the ante once well, she, she saw was her supposed to be considerably older than she was in real life. So, well, no, because Pa Kent died; he was only forty-seven years old, even though Kevin Costner's in his sixties. Oh no, Pa Kent was only two years older than me. <laughs> All right, so you know what? It makes him three years younger than me, buddy. All right, we're moving on. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's dangerous starting to talk about about hot ladies in the sausage fest, a uh, twelve man <laughs> sausage yeah. fest like this. So you got to keep this moving forward. All right, so we got yeah. another uh, FNG, um, um, doing his uh, Chris Warden. You're next, and I gotta follow that. All right, I went into this movie looking to be that seven year old kid watching the first Superman movie. I wanted to be wild. I wanted to be, enjoy it. I wanted to see my favorite hero up there. And 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 about five minutes in, that that forty-two-year-old comic book fan just clicked in and just just started going. And, and it kind of took me out of it when when I saw Jor El riding on Obi Wan's uh, lizard with wings. So I started getting thrown on that. So well, now they're copying things. I wanted it. it but it got better. It's, it's, I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed uh, uh, Cal because he wasn't, you know, Clark yet for me. Um, trying to figure out where he is and where he is in the movie. Um, but to just uh, uh, echo Paul, um, I, I had problems with how Jonathan treated Clark. It was with. Um, it's not the morals and ethics of the of a Midwest farmer, you know. That's that's where where Clark got all his morals and ethics. Um, it's, it's no secret that the maybe was a big issue that uh, Pa Kent would have told him, you know. Yes, you're supposed to save people. You're supposed to do right because um, Superman does the right thing. So um, overall, the movie is. is is quality done on on the special effects it got kind of clunky here and there um uh with the fight scene uh, at the end with uh fiora when she was saved by whichever kryptonian as i thought that cgi was pretty clunky um it went pretty good it, for for me for the story for uh keeping pace um it was um It had Superman doing un-Superman things. My uh, daughter looked at me when, um, after he saved the uh, the fire, um, the oil riggers, why is Superman stealing? Um, and then uh, with throughout, it's just, it just went downhill for me on there. Um, it did get dark and grimy, as everybody said it did. I felt he was going in, in directions I didn't think the character should. I, it felt like lazy writing to me that 
if you can't write Superman, handle it. Don't do it. Um, he does things that we cannot. Uh, people bring him down to to them, then they're not supposed to. He we're supposed to go up to him. Um, Jor-El um, uh, was fine. I found Russell Crowe to be very well. Uh, I, I can't remember the uh, Lara's actress name, and I found that to be kind of really interesting in how they presented that. That story point was fine. Uh, I didn't really agree with how Jor-El kind of spiked Cal with all this stuff and then gave um, uh, Zod a reason to go hunting uh, Cal. And I kind of got the feeling that Jor-El kind of put Earth in jeopardy, so I kind of, kind of see that. Um, throughout uh, the movie, um, sound, special effects, uh, saw good. The uh, fight scenes were the stuff I wanted to see when I was a kid. They're epic. Uh, but yeah, the collateral damage is going to be there. I, I can't disagree or agree with it it is what it is is but they didn't do anything to to tell me what happened with with all the people that there wasn't the concern there the showing that him helping people um he did help a couple individual people but he didn't seem to take the fight somewhere else to help people like i thought he should um I'll, I'll end it there. All right. Everybody's hitting it right on the five-minute mark. I'm really impressed. Scott Rifen, you are next, sir. Well, it sounds like everybody's made all the points I wanted to make, and since a couple of weeks ago I was talking back to the Star Trek one uh, pretty continuously on a car trip, uh, I'm actually going to review Star Trek now, if that's okay. <laughs> 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 now, I... Uh, you know, I, first, let me just say, I paid money to see this movie. I paid money for my wife to go with me. I paid for my son to go with me. I do not pay to go see movies so I can hate them. That's not who I am. But I got about a half hour into this movie, and I realized there was no joy. There was no awe. There was no sense of wonder. There was no exhilaration. And it really started to weigh me down. I didn't feel like this was a Superman movie. I felt like it was a Batman movie with Superman's powers. And you know, I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan. I am a guy who liked his Batman work, but I think the fact that he brought a lot of that to the Superman movie really it put a damper on what is Superman to me. Um, you know, I, I go through the movie a little bit. I, I found it interesting that uh, Chris was talking about how he uh, he saw the parallel between some of the episode three visuals and Krypton because I did too. I thought it looked like Udapev. Utapal, which is fine, you know, that's cool. But um, we get over there, we see Zod come in, that's cool, all the Krypton stuff's nice. Um, but once he gets to Earth, it starts to really become a drag. And at some point, they, they get into this, uh, this nonlinear storytelling, which bothers me, because nonlinear storytelling is usually used so that you can present the information in a non-chronological fashion in a way that actually makes the reveal of the information more interesting. And that wasn't the case here. It just seemed to be that they were randomly placing the, randomly spacing out the events from Clark Kent's young life, uh, a lot of which centered around the completely flawed 
Jonathan Kent. And, you know, we had a little discussion on the board earlier, and somebody said that the reaction of Pa Kent with the school bus incident was the reaction of a scared father, but that's not who Pa Kent is. He's brave. That's where Superman learned his bravery. That's where he got it from, not from this guy who sits and cries and moans and screams and tries to hide his kid every five seconds. Uh, Glenn Ford nailed this part, nailed it. Absolutely the, to me, epitome of the character. These Midwestern farmer types are people who have seen a lot of hurt, they've seen a lot of hardship, and they've developed a way to keep their chin up when they're dealing with this kind of thing, and that's not what Costner was doing. You know, he's sulking all the time. Um, Even... In his death scene, let's be honest, he goes back to the car to get the dog. And this is one of these Midwestern farmer guys who deal with the death of animals all the time. The real John, uh, you know, if, if Pa Kent's a real guy and he's really the guy that we've set him up as, he says, sorry, son, dog's not worth a human life. We'll miss him. We'll get you another one, though. Don't worry about it. And that would have been it. Wouldn't even have had to deal with that issue. Um... We get to Metropolis. Apparently, there are two dozen people who live in Metropolis at this point. Um, we see Superman and Zod had this gigantic tussle in the city. Skyscrapers ripped up, knocked down. We never see any casualties whatsoever. Every so often, we're showing a Daily Planet staffer and a straggler or two standing kind of around them. And we're supposed to go, okay, well, nobody was hurt. But apparently, there's nobody in any of the buildings and nobody in the street while this is going on. And, you know, I guess we're supposed to be concerned about the Daily Planet staffers because they keep showing them. And the only reason I can figure that is because they have names. Uh, that's the only real thing about these characters that we know. They've, got, they've all got names, so we're supposed to care about them. Uh, it, that drives me nuts. The knockdown drag out between Superman and Zod, I'm not really impressed because the camera work, while not in slow motion, was either shot from two counties away or right up their nostrils. So I can't really see it. A lot of the daytime stuff, blindingly overlit. I'll jump into the casting because I don't have a lot of time here. Henry Cavill is fine. In fact, I got to tell you, there's a lot of, there are a lot of instances these days where leading men don't have real voices. This guy's actually got a, a good voice and he's got a good look and he's got a good manner about him. Uh, I'd like to have been able to see him as Clark Kent, but we didn't get a chance to see him as Clark Kent, which again is one of the essential things I think you've got to see in a Superman movie, and I don't count the, the 60 seconds of Clark Kent right at the end there. Uh, Michael Shannon's okay. Amy Adams completely miscast, completely sticks out like a sore thumb. She doesn't ever look or feel like she's really a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, which we know she is, by the way, because at one point she tells Perry White, I'm a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, which is weird because I would have thought Perry would have known that. Anyway, didn't like the film. My five minutes are up. I'm out. All right. So it begins. <laughs> All right, Dr. Bill, you are up next. What's your prognosis? <sighs> well, <laughs> as a doctor, uh, well, I play one on TV and, and on a podcast. Um, I think I'm still going through the stages of grief with this movie. I saw the movie with my son and, and my son and I had a good time and we actually did a little podcast about it. And, and I think at that point I was in denial and I felt, I felt kind of good at first about the movie. And then after my son and I did, did, did the podcast, one of the things that we talked about really started to turn over my head because we started to talk about the big thing was, you know, Superman had to kill. 
And I know some people are probably rolling their eyes, maybe not here with us, but are listening and going, oh, we're going to get into this now. And, um, you know, I kind of stepped around the thing with my son and said, well, you know, he didn't really have a choice. You know, he was pushed, you know, Zod, it was suicide by cop. You know, Zod was going to end him. You know, he wanted to die, blah, blah, blah. You know, then later in the week, I started getting angry with myself for that and thinking that I was, you know, moving on the bargaining, saying, well, maybe the next movie they'll deal with it. And I hope that they do like they did in the comics. There was a consequence for when Superman crossed that line. Um, so that's where I'm stuck right now. Um, I'm, I'm at the bargaining phase. I don't know where, it, when I'll get to depression and, uh, or acceptance. I mean, I had a good time with my son. I will say that. But I just, just don't know where I'm at with this movie right now. Um, to hit on some things specifically about the movie, this thing was loud. And just like Paul, I looked over at my son and he had his ears covered during the film. And I don't know if it was uh, our theater or I don't know if a lot of you guys ha had that problem too. Um, Henry Cavill, I thought, was a good Superman. Um, and, uh, I was also confused by the Pa Kent portrayal. Now, at the same time, I was touched and, uh, I actually had to kind of do the man up thing, you know, blink your eyes, sniff, you know, in the scenes when he's, you know, hugging Clark and he's close to his son and I've got my son next to me and, you know, I'm like, I'm manning up, I'm okay. <laughs> it's all right. So, I, I mean... Like I said, I, I was up and down in this movie, and and you know it it just uh, I don't know this this was a lot different uh, out of out of the three movies I've seen this summer I've seen um, Iron Man three and to me that that was the best I went in just wanting to have fun and to be entertained and I was Star Trek. I went in with a skeptical eye, and you know we all know, know the review uh, where we went with that. And 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 here I tried to go in with no expectations. And I mean, at first I was I was high as a kite, and then that kite has kind of fallen to the ground, and I don't know where it's going. So um, I guess that's kind of my disjointed review. It, it wasn't that long, but uh, oh. One thing about uh, Lawrence Fishburne, I was waiting for him to offer the red kryptonite or the blue kryptonite because <laughs> it, it just seems, I, I don't know, he, I didn't see him doing anything as Perry White in this. He was just like an empty suit. He was just, oh, aside from the scene at the end where he's holding Jenny Olsen's hand when they're going to get smashed by the the gravity machine or whatever, but... Um, I guess that's my review for now. So when I when when the papers print the review, um, um, it'll say Bill Doctor Bill Robinson quote I was high as a kite unquote. <laughs> All right, hair metal hero, you are you are up next. All right, um, what can you say about this movie? It certainly is divisive, um, and I I knew going into it that I I said to myself it's probably going to be darker. I was expecting that. Um, I liked it for the most part. 
I think it's a good start. I don't think it's everything that it should have been. Um, I thought the acting was fine, special effects, music, whatever. I mean, the music was good. It was not iconic, certainly not. Um, it did need a little bit more humor. Um, I liked some of the changes that they made to the established canon. Um, I enjoyed Lois's story arc in it. She actually seemed like she had something to do. Um, I could be in the minority on that. Um, I like Cavill a lot. I thought he was good. I, I, I'd like to see his you know, Daily Planet Clark. Um, I think this film works as a setup to things that they need to address, though. If it is just this movie and they and they gloss over uh, him killing Zod, him causing a shitload of collateral damage, him not really helping anybody once he puts the suit on, uh, you know, they, they need to touch on that. As a springboard for ideas, I think it works. It's, it, it is a post-9-11 take on it. I, I know that's kind of an elephant in the room, uh, but I'm going to say it, it is a post-millennial take in, in every sense of the word. Um, the, the Pa Kent, I, I know that's another divisive issue. This is a Pa Kent that's living in a, a post-Berlin Wall coming down in a, in a much more modern world than pretty much every other version that this guy just doesn't want the government to take his kid away, which I, I, I bought into at the time. I, I am having second thoughts about how they handled him, though. Um, I don't know. I, I, for the most part, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I think the next one certainly needs to be lighter. Um, but at this point, I, I don't know if I should even expect that. Um, glad there was no kryptonite. <laughs> glad there was no Lex. Um kind of upset that they used Zod again. I mean, there, there are other characters you can use. Um, for the most part, I don't know, enjoyable, but uh, it is certainly not going to replace Superman the movie for me. <laughs> um, or Superman the animated series. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll definitely go into other stuff as, as we go on, but uh, I'm not meh on it like I was with Star Trek, but um, yeah, the next one needs to be needs to it needs to address the things that they set up um all the other technical stuff i thought was fine other than the fact that it was really loud i mean i've been to concerts that weren't even that loud but uh i think we'll just pass it on to the next guy and let him have his say all right and you don't have to go him or her have their say <laughs> these podcasts you're always safe just saying him and it's an it's the next new guy bob fisher it's your turn. All right, I am unmuted. Gentlemen, well, I'm not going to bury the lead here. I love this movie. Um, basically, if we really look at it, Superman is, a, is, is really in three parts. You've got Krypton, Smallville, and Metropolis. We didn't see a lot of Metropolis because, well, they destroyed it. But um, um, the other two parts were... Well, let's just start at the beginning. Krypton. I thought this was amazing. We actually had, for the first time, a living, breathing, uh, exciting Krypton. I think it, it reminded me now, and maybe again, I'll, I should put this in, maybe again because I'm a little older and from the Silver Age, that a lot of you guys will say silly in front of. You can't just say Silver Age. It's silly Silver Age. 
but I think that really added to my enjoyment of this is because it was science fiction and fantasy and not some cold uh, ice crystal. I, don't get me wrong. I like the Donner. I like Chris Reeves. I like what happened with those. Those are classic iconic movies. But this Krypton was, um, uh, I just thought it was incredible. Um, the, uh, the, the things that I didn't like about Krypton, I think if, you know, if, I love Jor-El. I love that, uh, Laura, I loved, uh, the fact that, uh, we got a good idea of what Zod and, uh, Jor-El, um, what their little bit of a history was together. I'm hoping we'll actually see more of that in the future. But um, the fact that Krypton was alive, that to me set the tempo for this movie, that something different is, is, is happening. And then I just kind of sat back. And by the way, the sound, every movie I've seen in the last five years has just blown my eardrums. This was no different. This was incredibly loud. Um, but anyway, back to Krypton. So it's a three-part thing. You've got Krypton, you've got Smallville, and um, Metropolis. This time I love the way, actually, that they did the Smallville pieces so that it was not linear. I love the fact that after Krypton, Krypton was a linear, it set it all up, and then, boom, he's basically an adult on the ship. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. I like that. And what's going to happen and then telling his childhood in uh, flashbacks in a nonlinear situation. I love that. That to me seemed more organic for some reason than a linear telling of the story in that as people were talking, having a conversation, whatever it was, it reminded him of something in his childhood and we had the flashback and, and it brought us in. I love that form of storytelling. I, so I think that as the movie, as a storytelling uh, um, technique, I really enjoy that a lot. I love that kind of flashback. It reminded me a little bit of Highlander and some other things that I liked. And I, I have no problem with that um, way of telling the, the, uh, the Smallville part of his life. I think when we're talking about Jonathan Kent as part of the Smallville story, I think what they did this time, and, and I agree that, that, that Jonathan was not the Jonathan that we are used to seeing. I think what they did, though, was take all of those Jonathan moments that we're used to from the comics and from Glenn Ford, and the uh, instead of him saying, maybe, uh, the Jonathan Kent we all know would have said, well, of course not, you don't let them die but you figure out a way to save them that they don't see you. Like, how about raising the bus out of the water from underneath the bus instead of beside it and standing there waiting for, you know, to smile at Lana. Those moments were not here in Jonathan, but they were there in Martha. Martha Kent, I think, is the one that actually showed him how to control his powers, how to think and how to maintain and be the hero that that we're going to see. Um, and I, I, in fact, speaking of Martha, that'll get me into the women of this, and I'll talk really quickly. I think all of the women in this thing were just outstanding. Uh, Lara being a an absolute partner with Jor-El, that Jor-El calls her and says, get the rocket ready, we gotta go. Um, that she took, and her death scene was just, just dramatic. Uh, 
it was just terrific. I love that. The the um, and then Lois, the other woman in this scene, other than Martha, the other woman. I thought they handled Lois. I'm going to have to disagree a little bit. I thought Lois was an integral part, and right from the get-go, her following it and finding him and realizing the Clark Kent part of it, long before he even puts the suit on, um, it gets rid of the whole, well, how dumb is she for a Pulitzer Prize-winning newspaper woman that can't tell that a pair of glasses, well, they eliminate all of that right away because she figures it out and is an integral part of the story and the parts of her and Jor-El's hologram on the uh, the ship very good very good um, I'm going to skip around a little bit because when we get to the third act of these things which is usually Metropolis Superman Lois Perry and all those guys um, we didn't see a lot of that this was not a development of Clark Kent reporter and the glasses and all of that we saw really none of that this was Metropolis played the part of being, um, well, Metropolis needed to be destroyed for some reason this time, which is really weird because everybody talks about the collateral damage. And to be honest, coming out of this movie, it was my wife that brought that up to me. I, for some reason, I guess because of Avengers and other movies where cities just get destroyed, that didn't seem to bother me as much as, as, um, the final solution to Zod, which even saying how much I loved the movie and the great parts, the excitement that was there, um, that last solution, the, the pain in the neck, as someone put it, was um, troubling at first. Um, and I wonder, I'm going to bring this up and then I'll end because I, I don't want to bury the whole lead. And I think the best part of this will be the discussion parts and me just saying, I, I really did enjoy the movie. I think Christopher, uh, Christopher, <laughs> not Christopher, <clears throat> Henry Cavill is Superman for Freudian this generation. I had no, <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a Freudian, but I had, uh, I had no problems believing that, um, Henry Cavill was Superman, not one bit, um, and the people that say there was no humor, there was very subtle pieces of humor where I laughed. I don't think many people laughed in my theater, but uh, the part in the interview, in the in the interview room, when he just stands up and the handcuffs snapped, he didn't try to snap them. They just snapped. And I thought, well, that, that was really funny for some reason. I don't know why, but I thought that was just a funny moment. I think there were many other funny moments that were subtle, little smirky kind of uh, things but there were no guffaws there were no hee-haw boy that was hysterical so i want to jump to the end real quick because i think again i think the discussion and there's other people to talk but i think and i want to bring this up to the group as far as the ending goes even if we agree that um and most of us you know it's a big chasm and that was one of the things when i thought coming out of the movie i thought oh my god uh the superman community is going to go ape shit on this one But um, I wonder if the method that Superman used to get rid of Zod was as um, divisive as him killing him. For example, let's say he's got him in the the chokehold. He flies up through the, the ceiling, out into space, and then just throws Zod into the sun. I think people would have stood up and cheered, still killing him 
maybe. My wife said, and this is really funny, my wife says, well, it's a yellow sun. If you throw him into a yellow sun, wouldn't that just improve his powers? Uh, okay, let's not get there, sweetie. That's a great idea. But the idea is, had he done something more dramatic like that, more comic book-y, like Chris Reeves kicking him into a crevice, um, now, I know people say, oh, the, external, the extra scenes show him being handcuffed. Well, I didn't see that. I only saw the one theater and the DVD I've got doesn't have that. So as far as I'm concerned, the Chris Reeves, Chris Reeves Superman kicked Zod into a crevice into the God knows where and we never saw him again. So, um, but I think that's a question I'd like to ask the group is that uh, if he had done something more Superman-like instead of this very visceral last fight scene when when it happened you could have heard a pin drop in my theater and both times i saw it twice i just saw it again yesterday and both times at that moment instead of the cheer that you would assume the the hero beats the villain there should have been a cheer a yay we did it and um you could have heard a pin drop in that place so um do you guys think maybe that the way he did it with the hands on the neck, as opposed to something a little more super dramatic would have, would have made a difference still killing him, still getting rid of him. But, um, but anyway, I'll, I'll end my time just letting you know that. Yeah. I overall really like the movie a lot. I think that casting was outstanding. I'm sure we're going to see in the next one, more of the Clark Kent, Lois Lane, Perry White, uh, the Daily Planet stuff. Um, and unlike others who think it might get darker, I think it's going to get much lighter. I think, um, of course, I don't know, but I think it will. They'll, it's a great beginning to uh, a new Superman property. And um, I was thrilled to watch it, actually. I, it was different. I came out of there not feeling... Um, like I did when I first saw Christopher Reeves. Superman 1, I saw it in Washington, D.C. at its premiere, and people cheered multiple times through that movie. Uh, but it is a movie for the time, and uh, Henry Cavill is Superman as far as I'm concerned right now. I can't wait to see more of him. So there's my little two cents. All right, so we got to remember that for when we get into the into the main discussion next snap pro or con next snap <laughs> all right next up is dave atterbury all righty well um <clears throat> let's see here it's uh it's, it's hard i'm trying to put everything aside that i've been read or discussing uh for the past week since i first saw the movie so i'll just try to give a quick uh backstory to my viewing um I'm I'm a rank novice in the world of comic books, and uh, just barely dipped my toes in the water. Um, I, I read World of Krypton about two weeks ago, and that that's it. That's that's all I've begun on. So, um, you know, I I come to it where I, I grew up. I saw all the the Superman movies um, in the theater. I can't remember seeing the first one. Uh, I was two but um you know so for me most of my superman comes from the animated series uh, but i honestly haven't haven't seen the show since it was 
on, on air. So um, I've really been enjoying the animated films that have come out in the last few years that have been drawing from the comics. And so I, I was really looking forward to, to this movie because um, I felt like I was able to get in on the ground floor, be there right from the beginning, um, kind of make this version my version of, of Superman, or at least one that could be my version if I liked it. Um, so, um, you know, when that movie opened and I saw that, that, that opening sequence of Krypton, that's all I could think about was is how much it matched in my head what I had pictured when I first heard um, Krypton described uh, uh, through uh, through a mic show actually through uh, from crisis to crisis and uh, and and from, uh, I thought the visuals were amazing and and I I'm a huge fan of the score I, I think it's one of the best scores I've heard in a while um, that it has themes and, and melodies that go through uh, uh, the movie. Um, uh, for me, I, I had the chance to see the movie in a, in a theater where they have a new sound system called Dolby Atmos. They, you know, they had almost 200 speakers in my theater. So it was loud, but, but it was a really good sound. So uh, I thought it was pretty amazing. Uh, and um, I thought the, all the acting was, was good for me. Uh, nobody, stood out uh, in my mind. Um, I really liked Zod. I liked uh, that he wasn't just a mad, maniacal villain, that he, that he had his own purpose and uh, his own agenda. And um, so I, I thought, I liked the way that they, sh they shook things up with the timeline in the beginning, only because I felt like if they had gone in a completely linear fashion, um, it probably would have made the movie feel like it was uh, copying, for lack of a better term, Superman 78 too much. So I, I think, I felt like that they were doing that to try to um, to not just feel like they were they're following beat for beat uh, the first movie, try to set their own uh, pace. Um, I did feel the movie was a little rushed in the third act. I mean, I liked all the action, but it, I feel like they they probably for, in trying to keep the running time as short as they could, they probably cut out a lot of character character beats and moments that I think probably would have helped with a lot of what was troublesome for many people in the third act. Um, I felt like I witnessed uh, a moment at the end there where he, where I get to see why Superman would then kill again. Um, I know some people, you know, would disagree with that, but that's that's what I felt like um, it worked for me. You know, when I was in the theater. That was a pretty, I mean, everyone gasped and it was silent and uh, it was a, a very powerful moment. Um, I, for me, I try not to compare this movie to Avengers because I feel like it's, it's a better comparison to go with comparing it to the first Iron Man, to Captain America, to Thor. And for me, I, I liked it as much or more than, than I liked those movies. Um, I think because... I've always liked the DC characters. I really have no backstory on on the on the Marvel characters. Um, I appreciate the light, the lighter, funnier tone in the Marvel movies, but I think for me personally, I connect with uh, connected with Man of Steel more emotionally because it was a little, a little more serious. I guess um, some might call that dark. 
Um, I didn't feel it was dark, but um, I thought it was a really, really good Superman movie. Um, uh, and uh, there was a moment that I noticed uh, in the theater and I thought I was crazy, but somebody else brought it up after the movie was over as we were sitting during the credits that there was a moment when Clark was looking up at the world engine and trying to fly upwards and that gravity was pushing his face. And I thought for a moment, um, he looked exactly like Chris Reeve and uh, it just gave me chills. And I, I, for me that crystallized in, in my love of the movie because I felt like for me that the baton has passed. I'll always love the original uh, films and, and they're a time capsule for me in my youth. And, and so, and this is, you know, now a new version, a new take, a uh, separate take that is its own thing. And, and so, um, that's, uh, that's my two cents. All righty. All right. Who do we got next here? Jay, David Weeder. It's all you, man. Yeah, you got I'm the floor. In. <clears throat> um, I went through a lot of emotions with this movie a lot. And in the end, it was kind of like, you know, I just fucked an ugly chick. And, you know, for a long time I was making excuses. Oh, there's a good heart. There's a, she let me do a reverse cowgirl. Eventually, I just had to admit that all I did was get my balls drained and felt a little bit bad afterwards. Because I went into this movie brimming with anticipation, shaking in the seat, so I'm so excited. I was in hours, or in line hours, before the movie starts. I woke up at the crack of dawn to get the tickets. I mean, I was on board. And when the movie was going through, I had issues with the editing. A little choppy. But there were some really good scenes, and Henry Cavill was rocking it. And I have nothing bad to say about Cavill. I have nothing bad to say about the cast overall. For me, the big point where I kind of lost it and stood up and yelled bullshit and almost walked out of the theater was when Superman snaps his odds neck. Now, I am a Superman apologist. Mike Bailey invented the term, but I've been doing it for a while. And for years, I felt like I'd been talking about the merit of Superman, you know, telling everybody about how great he is. And it became, in that moment, like having a girlfriend. You're dating this girl. You have disapproving friends. So you're going to try to win them over. You're going to take her to a party. She's doing fine. She's making jokes. And then, you know, opinions are starting to change. And then she just takes this gigantic shit in your friend's bathroom, clogs the toilets. It's all over the floor. It's like an apocalyptic shit. And no matter how funny her jokes are, all anyone is going to remember is that giant shit. So I had to sit down and process through it. It took me a long, long time to finally put my own, my own mind at ease with it. And the way I did so was to look at Superman's roots, at his source. Because Siegel and Schuster created Superman based on the Torah. He's a Moses allegory, no matter how hard they want to push this Christ allegory. And boy, did they try. He's a Moses allegory. Now, looking at it as a Moses allegory, you, it makes sense. Because Moses killed a man who was beating a Hebrew. We're still following that. It makes sense. And Samson, who was another influence. Whose final act killed a, a lot of people for a greater good. So I look at Man of Steel now as a nice biblical parable, a little bit of roots in, in mythology, because you have kind of an Arthurian legend thing happening. You have Jor-El as Merlin sending you know Superman on this Arthurian quest. If you're looking at it as something of a sci-fi opera, it's uh, a piece of mythology on its own. It works. It's great sci-fi. It has some great character moments. And so you have this great mishmash, but as a comic book movie, it fell a little bit short. 
And maybe it's because I wanted a straightforward superhero movie. And after all the action that kept going and going and going, and at one point, I started looking at my watch like, are we still fighting in Smallville? We're fighting inside of an IHOP. I just wanted my Rudy Tooty Fresh and Fruity. It just, I, I just wanted a climax at that point that had me cheering. And I think we got this villain death that could have been done and staged a little bit differently, as Bob pointed out. I think staging could have changed that completely. Uh, we had Batman killing the Joker in 1989. And then we had the Nolan trilogy making this big point about man, Batman not killing. It was a part of the theme. It was the essence of his origin. And suddenly we have Superman, Superman snapping a neck. I think Bob is right. If it had been done in a cooler fashion, we could have seen something really cool with that. And it would have made sense had Zod been you know, shooting the heat vision at Superman's chest. And that's when it happened. Okay, I'm on board. I've, it's a nail biter. But overall, I've accepted it. Uh, it's flaws. Uh, it's not the Superman movie I wanted, but it's about 70% of that movie. And that's not bad. So I've accepted it. And I know that Snyder and Goyer, I'm putting more on them than they've probably put in the, in the movie by calling it mythology. But once you take that away and look at it as that sci-fi opera, actually pretty good movie all in all. Just not a great Superman movie. But that's my 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 feelings in a, in a nutshell. <laughs> well, thank you for um, not holding back. <laughs> I, that's why I, I did clarify. We, we, we could have gone without the explicit tag till that. So you're welcome. No, no, that's OK. <laughs> I'm we still got plenty of time to earn that explicit tag fully. All right. Jonathan Kreitz, you are next, sir. All right. I uh, went and saw it yesterday morning, and I actually took my very young son, which was an interesting experience because I had never taken him to a movie before, but I thought, why not? I was off for the day, and uh, he fell asleep about halfway through, although he, I guess he seemed to like it, you know, up to the point where he fell asleep, but um, I actually really, really like the movie. Um, I'm still kind of processing the moment at the end that, I, you know, the killing Zod that everyone's very been out of shape about. And I think my initial reaction also was shock and couldn't really believe that's what had happened. Um, but even saying that, I still feel like I, I don't know, I really enjoyed the movie. I was, su- I was surprised that I felt, uh, the flashbacks got me emotionally engaged in a way that I guess I wasn't really anticipating. Um, I like the cast. I like, I actually like the story. I thought the story was actually really interesting. I thought Krypton in the beginning was fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I just, uh, I know we've been going on long already, but I'll just say that I enjoyed the movie and I, I'm ready to uh, actually get to some more back and forth discussion. Wow. Well, you you were going long. You still had like three minutes, man. No, nah, it's all right. That's okay. I, 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 I just want to say I was in on it. I liked it. Uh, and we can get into more details in a little bit. But we, Oh, we sure will. <laughs> all right. We're up to the penultimate review, which is Chris Honeywell. Thank you, Chris Honeywell. And mine's going to be like a little weird and disjointed if you couldn't uh, predict that. But uh, I went in, I got to say, I was honestly biased against this movie because I'm extremely biased against Zack Snyder. I just fucking hate him since Sucker Punch was the turning point to where he went beyond uh, 
Emmerich and Yui Boyle land into mediocrity hell. But um, so as soon as I heard his name was attached to that, you know, it wasn't as much as a poison like maybe or uh, an effect as other people had when they heard that Christopher Nolan, because I think Christopher Nolan's a good filmmaker. I didn't think he was the best filmmaker for Batman, but I saw what he was doing or whatever. But I think he's a good filmmaker. Um, Goyer, my opinion of him was like, yeah, but I, I, I was really like expecting a train crash and found myself very pleasantly surprised in the first 20 minutes of Krypton where I was saying, you know, I'm actually engaged in this. And I think 90% of that had to do with Russell Crowe and that the, the Krypton, Krypton was a really realistic, not realistic, but it, it felt like its own self-contained world, and I was very interested in what was going on. It was a little different and, and all that, and I found myself sitting there going, oh my god, I'm watching a Zack Snyder movie, and I'm not going, this is wonderful, but I'm I'm paying attention, and, and I'm sucked in. And what eventually happened with this movie, and it's hard for me to say whether I liked it or not, because I was interested all the way through it. It never got boring for me. There were a few places, of course, where I was face-palming, and it reminds me a lot of Star Trek Into Darkness. They're both, they're both sort of pulling something from the second part of the uh, earlier franchise, you know, Wrath of Khan, in this case, Superman 2, and the comic books, but I'm trying to keep this in a movie context. And you have... Um, this sort of reboot, and it, like in both cases, I really like all the, the to varying degrees, but I really like all the actors. And like in Into Darkness, the I thought the most important thing is can you nail Kirk, and they did. And then this one is Cavill. When I saw press pictures and stuff, I wasn't feeling it, but he is he's good. He could he I would like to see him be Superman again. He's a good Superman. He felt. Uh, good for the role to me. I thought he was very, very charismatic in it as an actor and as Superman. But um, if I was to tell people whether they're going to like it or not, if you if you look at the preview of it or the trailer and you go, this is not my Superman, I don't uh, you're probably not going to like it. But if you're, you know, you're not really, that's not your big concern or it is your Superman, you're probably going to like it. I found myself um, taking apart my, I'll get into my grievances at the end of it, but I found myself when it was over, I never got sucked into it to where I was really involved or felt elevated or felt much of anything. There was no part where I got up and went, Oh, there's, there was no Hulk smash Loki part where the audience went berserk. There was no real audience reaction at ours. And we had a pretty decent, um, amount of people in there um the things the thing that i think i was surprised that goyer or that um goyer that snyder made something like a real movie a bit disjointed it where it fell apart was the writing i think goyer for 70 percent of it the writing was was workmanlike for a summer blockbuster the other 30 percent is where it just didn't make sense i don't like i don't I think a movie like Superman, a movie version of Superman is like the distilled version of whatever 
that time is of Superman. So you want the you want the basics and broad strokes of what Superman is. So that's why I don't like the decision to have Superman kill somebody with his bare hands in it because you had to you had to add that in there. And I think in a broad stroke, Superman shouldn't kill. If you're gonna have Superman kill, have him kill down the line when people are you can put more nuance into the character or whatever if you decide to make that decision. But I think it was only made to get us fighting amongst ourselves and riled up, basically. Um, I did not like Pa Kent. I thought Kevin Costner did a good job. He looked the part. He's a good actor. I didn't like how the part was written for pretty much all the reasons that everybody else mentioned. His death scene, we could go into that later, but I thought it was ridiculously bad writing and logic for all different reasons. It was kind of goofy the way he just got swept away. But um, for the most part, I thought this was going to be a media masochist candidate, and it turned out to be um, a fairly... I, I got through it without a lot of pain and uh, was not horrified. You know, I, I had plenty of things that I didn't like that I can argue about on the show, but it didn't. it didn't elevate me and it didn't drive me down either i just sort of went and experienced it <laughs> so uh yeah i guess that's all i gotta say i don't know how long that was but i am going to pass it on to the guy we've all been waiting for our um we all know him as michael bailey as do everybody else who knows him <laughs> as far as i know <clears throat> All right, All right, take Nick. us home, Michael Bailey, or take us into the. <laughs> Welcome to the Thunderdome, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, negative stuff first. I thought the pacing of this movie was awful. I think they jumped from scene to scene and forced us as the audience to fill in too many of the blanks. It was kind of the opposite of the Nolan Batman films, where we were, you know, kind of spoon fed everything there, and here we had to do the bulk of the work. Snyder is not what I would call, in any way, shape, form, or fashion, a subtle filmmaker. And because he wasn't working with an established framework of a previously told story like Watchmen, his shortcomings as a director were more evident. I thought the action got really old, really fast towards the end of the film. And by the final fight, I was like, holy crap, are we going to see more of this shit? So as a film, and as a cohesive story, I think it fell short. Now, what I liked about the film, Krypton was freaking awesome. I loved the Star Wars rift, and then we finally got a Krypton in a Superman adaptation outside of the animated series that wasn't a fucking retread of the Donner film. The fact that Kelex, as they called him, I'll always think of him as Kelex, was part of it did my heart well. Jorel, scientist of action, blew me away, and I loved how his computer program stand-in played out through the rest of the film. I really liked Crow in the role, and the fact that he freaking owned Zod at the beginning was great. Jonathan Kent. You know, I actually thought long and hard on this, and after hearing the this isn't what Jonathan Kent would do mantra again and again and again since the first trailer, I finally lost my patience internally to the point where my, my response has been, so what? This was a new take on Superman, and to go back and keep bringing up Glenn Ford and previous iterations and preconceived notions, valid though they are, is missing the point of the movie. 
much like Man of Steel from 1986, where the tone change it and changes were derided by the old school fans. This is a new vision of who this character is for a modern audience. So seeing a Jonathan Kent that was more cautious and so worried about his son that he did make some mistakes in rearing him did me a world of good because at the end of the day, his lessons still served to inspire Clark to become the hero that Superman is supposed to be. Henry Cavill was great in the role. I loved the scene where he learned to fly and that was a, and that huge smile on his face. It gave me that sense of wonder that I really wanted to see in this film. I loved how he was pensive without being really mopey. Amy Adams was great as Lois. And I love that she figured out from the beginning because that's the natural evolution that this character has taken since the John Byrne revamp in 1986. Michael Shannon was great as Zod. And I thought he played the single-minded villain with a nuance that was different than but equal to what Terrence Stamp brought to the role. As I said, I liked Crow. I liked Costner and Diane Lane and whoever played Laura, because I forget her name too. I didn't have a single problem with the cast. I, I guess if I had a problem with the cast, it wasn't that a building wasn't dropped on Steve Lombard, but that wasn't the actor's fault. I also geeked out at seeing not one, but two Dr. Hamiltons on the screen. More than anything, I was finally glad to see a Superman on screen that reflected what I saw in the character growing up. There was a real post-crisis vibe to this Superman. And I'm not talking about just talking about Kelex. This is a Superman that is new at the job, and he's going to make mistakes. He is not simply going to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do just because. Much like certain events in the post-crisis Superman's past that would have been anathema to the Silver and Bronze Age version of the character, this version is getting to the same destination through a different path. Could he have done more in the battle with Zod to stop collateral damage? Yes, but at the end of the day, two guys fighting in an empty stretch of highway or something like that would not have been as visually stimulating as seeing them fight through a city. And to be fair, I think I should point out that every moment he would have been off saving a handful of people Zods would still have been curb-stomping Metropolis. So in the end, this was not a perfect Superman film. But I haven't looked at any Superman movie as being perfect. For me, it was the Superman I wanted to see at this moment in time. And hot damn, I am finally glad that the Superman I read about as a teenager and young adult is getting some serious love that doesn't involve a mopey teenager or a pretty boy that played a great Clark Kent but a suck-ass Superman. And I'm looking forward to the sequel. All right. Wow, we got through everybody. Wow. All right, I'm on mutant. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> everybody decloaks. Don't <laughs> <laughs> hold back, Mike. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> it's in the ceramic cash. Pardon? It's in the ceramic cash. Oh, okay. Um, so let's. I, I mean, let's start out while I remember uh, Bob's question. Was it? Do you think it was because? Um, Superman killed Zod instead of kicking him into a hole. He, he did it the old-fashioned, visceral way and snapped his neck. I agree with Bob that I always thought in, in Superman 2 he killed him, even though there was a scene that was left out where they show that he that he was still alive. So I, I, I didn't really have a big problem with him killing him at the end, although I think if Jonathan Kent had been portrayed the way I and several of us argued he should have been portrayed... Uh, then he would have had the there's another way to do this without killing him attitude. Uh, but that said, it was almost kind of led to that the, through the whole movie. So I really didn't have a problem with it 
ultimately. Yeah, Zod Zod knew exactly what he was doing when he said one of us is going to end up dead. That last act that he makes Kal-El take on him to to kill him, he knows how much it's going to hurt him. Yeah. Because he knows I'm the at that point I'm the last Kryptonian you're ever going to see, and I'm going to force you to kill me, and I'm going to leave happy. you with nothing. I'm, sorry. I'm just happy at the end he didn't no. look skyward and yell out Zod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been pretty. That would have been pretty weak. I mean, the the other Kryptonian villains, they got <laughs> they sent off apparently back to the Phantom Zone. There's no. I mean, what what do you do with a, with a fully powered Zod that is used to his powers now? I had an I, idea about I, that. That's... I have an answer well, to that rhetorical us. question. You beat him unconscious as Superman in a super rage, and then at the at, towards the end of the movie, Superman keeps beating him unconscious, and all of a sudden the CEO of LexCorp, Lex Luthor, shows up and says, "Hey." You know, I think I have. I I have been watching all this go down. I think I have a way to put him into suspended animation, and I think we can figure out how to get him back into the, into the yeah. Phantom Zone using all of my technology. And Superman goes, "Thank you, friend. That sounds like a great idea." Yeah. And then they push him off. Already had enough maybe. of Clack and Lex being friends on Smallville. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> either, either way, either way, it could just be a, like you could put him in there. He doesn't have to come back in the next movie. <laughs> But it could just it could have just been a nice little thing at the end of the the movie, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, well, like, like I said though, that that is only going to work if it if it pays off in the next one, where you know he says I I can I can never let that happen again. Right. I don't know if that's going to happen. I would get some. What about Zod's body? Oh, the government's going to have a field day with that. Yeah. That's a great uh, way to make it. It's not me. Oh. It is. Miss Ward, Miss Ward, are you sitting too close to the computer? Oop. Is that coming from me? No, we got it. No, I'm sitting. I, I was on mute and I was sitting away. Okay. Yeah, this is almost like a weird feedback loop. Really? It's okay. If okay. you do it again, we'll just tell you. And it, it probably going off mute's what stopped it. Who was right. who was co- it coming from? Chris Ward. Do we know. Maybe. He did it. It was in Joe. Did. He killed him. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, ultimately, the you know the the question of whether you know whether or not Superman should have killed him at the at the end of the movie is you know to me Superman shouldn't kill. Uh, that is not should. to say that he should never kill in terms of a story. But, you know, in my head, he shouldn't do it. But if you're going to do it, you know, at least this time it wasn't, you know, three defenseless people that he killed slowly and agonizingly. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, he... Mike, well, I think this Mike, was... with the three defenseless people that you're referring to, they just killed five billion people. <laughs> okay. And we saw them kill so, people we knew on, on the panel. But you had to see that. So, so, what you're that saying, so what you're saying is in, in combat... A soldier who kills a man in the line of duty is okay, but if a soldier takes that man prisoner and then shoots him later because of what he did, he would be tried for war crimes. So no, my no. point is... There's a second half of mine. I'm sorry if I interrupted yours. Let me... Whenever you... I'm going to let you finish. Go ahead. No, go the ahead. Second half of, the second half of my point was we saw 
the consequences of these people's actions. We saw the level yeah, of Yeah, because it's a monthly comic book. And next month, there's going to be another comic book. It's going to take at least two to three years to get another movie. So, yes, we didn't spend the last five minutes of the film dealing with it, but that doesn't mean that it's not going to be dealt with. True, but... And this is this is where I'll rest on this, Mike, because you know I respect you. Um, oh, we that, have we? had, going into this, making the movie, we had no guarantee of a sequel. This was the one potential shot. So we had no guarantee of that monthly comic. I think just a different setup would have been fine. What's your solution, Michael, for them to, to, with the three Kryptonians on the pocket universe, take them back to ours and leave them on the Earth that was just destroyed with uh, no vegetation, no life form to eat, no sustenance, and just leaving them there to starve to death? I'm I'm not saying what he did was right. I'm not saying what he did was wrong. I'm just saying in my head, saving, killing somebody to save three people is preferable in this situation, which I don't really like in the first place, but to me, killing a person who is a clear and present danger to what's going on in front of you when you finally get a, a chance to, and as uh, you know, Hair Metal Hero said, Zod put him in this position. Zod said at several points in the fight, you know, I have lost my will to live. I am not going to stop. I am not, I am going to destroy everything you love. It is either me or you. So by the film's internal logic, the death worked for me. Yeah, I, I thought there's another really point to that, that too. Uh... I'll go ahead, Chris. Oh. Uh, just a quick note. I mean, if Kal El is the last person from Krypton, he's really the only last Kryptonian that can deliver justice to another Kryptonian. And however you want to see that. Well, I thought it was really interesting that uh, Zod, right before then, had been saying that every cruel act he did, every terrible decision he made, was to protect Krypton. And it's almost like, you know, now that weight for Superman, not for Krypton, has fallen on his shoulders, but for Earth, that he'd have to make, you know, all these super difficult decisions and impossible situations uh, because of the role he's taken. So I kind of actually, in that way... I guess I liked it, but still at the same time, Superman is the one guy who can do the impossible. So if what seemed like an impossible situation where these people are going to die if he doesn't kill them, I guess I figure he could come up with some other solution, but I don't know. What do y'all think about to that? that? To that end, somebody try to explain the entire gene scheme with the big chamber full of fetuses, explain explain how that works. It's a which, which chamber full of fetuses? The one at the beginning that had fetuses in it, or the empty chamber at the towards the end of the film? The one at the the one towards the end of the film was empty. Yes, it was empty. That yes. basically it was there to populate if they wanted to, but there were not cons- there there weren't fetuses in those pods. Hmm. When. He tried to. They needed. To they needed the, the code. Zod basically pointed out that he's ending the species right there. So. Right. But no, they, he ended. But he the still s- needed the code <laughs> to be able to do anything with. Uh, it. They needed. Uh, 
to Zod's perception of how procreation occurs, which is why he was so creeped out that Jarell and Laura did, made the beast with two backs. Um, that was the only way to have a baby. My wife pointed out something that I thought was one of those things that she says it, and my God, why didn't that occur to me, is that if the, the repopulation of Krypton was such an issue, why wasn't there some fucking going on on that ship when there were males <laughs> and females? You know, Feora was not the only woman on that hmm. ship, but it's a society that is so repellent to that kind of procreation and thinks that the only way we can have babies is with these machines. Destroying that machine is destroying the ability for the race to go forward because to Zod, you have to purify the fetus and give it its, you know, its role in life uh, to, you know, as for, for procreation to go forward. That, so those were so empty. That's that's the impression I got is <clears throat> people that were, you know that you had the the codex full of people and you had your plumbers in to there and the people who are poets that's yeah I thought that they were filled with the you know and your, the your Pete scientists Hedges. yeah and your your drunks and you know whatever they need for a Kryptonian <laughs> society they would have some <laughs> genetic thing they needed to be on welfare yeah I I imagine that's why they would. Because it didn't seem like it was as much a thing like they were saving family bloodlines or anything. It seemed seemed like they had, you know... Generic templates. It, well, I don't even want to say classes of people, but they had different, you know, genetic designations of people that were optimized to do that, you know. And including bureaucrats who looked like... They even looked like optimized bureaucrats. <laughs> and... <laughs> <laughs> like uh, you know, they always look like bureaucrats transform. <laughs> did, did anybody else get? Did anybody else get the vibe from you know Jarell putting the uh, DNA patterns on uh, Kal-el and then telling Zod, you know, my son's going to stop you? Anybody else get the vibe that vibe that that was kind of Glinda the Good Witch putting the red slippers on Dorothy and saying, "Oh boy, you made an enemy there." I did not. Well, you know, I just thought of it. That's. <laughs> And this brings up another question because it's something that I saw one way and I think everybody else saw another. You know, Jarrell, the, the computer program Jarrell, you know, when, when they're on the ship and he tells them to go save Jor to save Lois Lane, who's falling to her death, you know, he goes, you will be the bridge between the two people. Now, the common perception of that, which I should have seen but didn't, is that he was saying that as a representative of Krypton, he can bring these two peoples together. What I kind of saw it as is him saying, the genetic material that is in you, you'll be able to procreate with humans and continue the Kryptonian line that way. Now, so go save Lois and plant that genetic material. Exactly. Yeah. I got that, too. How do we know... Uh, do, you, do you think it's possible, Mike, with... Uh, all right, when... Uh, Kyle was on the ship. There was an open pod in the um, in the scout ship. Uh, is there any possibility that we are Kryptonians in this movie? No, because uh, no, you don't think so. David? I, I can tell you why. It's actually set up in a prequel comic. Um, oh, they had, okay. That yeah, the, the, we were already here. Oh. Sorry. The rumor I heard for that for that empty pod is that that might be Supergirl's pod. Yeah. Oh, okay. Strain cannon a bit, wouldn't it? Yeah, I don't like that either. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, 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 it wasn't my idea, but that's what I read. Can I interject something? Yeah, here, I understand. Too, that's I read that's that a thematic note. 
Yeah. Just, just something that's been bugging me about Superman movies in general from uh, the Donner to now. Why, you know, interactive hologram Jor-El again? I just, I just don't get it. I think he's okay as a plot device to impart, like, ancient Kryptonian wisdom to kal but I think once he's actively talking to Lois Lane, it just... I, it's weird saying that strains the credibility of the movie to me talking about a Superman a movie. But <laughs> well, you know, you know I, could, I could buy the guy flying and have <laughs> lasers coming out of his eyes. But I but can't buy computer AI. AI. No, no. Holograms that yeah, I don't understand that. that were yeah, they don't set that up in ago. Star Trek, you know? Yeah. Well, I, think, well, I think it is a good thing that uh, the Keith. hologram Jor-El knew that he'd been killed by Zod even after he'd already programmed it. But, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't like the fact that Zod thing. killed Jor-El. I didn't like that at all, because I, I always thought one of the most moving things of the whole story is Jor-El and Lara standing there watching the ship mm. go off, knowing that they're going to die and that they're sending their son off, I, I you like know, the and that they face that together. I didn't like What's the fact that, that he like the Tin Man when, you know, when he was killed. It wasn't that he crumpled to his death. He just, yeah, I got... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying it was perfect, but I, 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 I got to go back to the fact that seeing Jarrell own Zod hand to hand while he's right, wearing right until Zod killed him. Right. Yeah. 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 But to be fair, Zod killed him when he was distracted. Right. So, I would also say that's stretched the logic of the universe too, though, isn't like Jarrell was scientist class. There's no way he. Should be able to own, you know, warrior class Zod and any. But he was but a rebel. This is a scientist that bucked the system. Yeah, and he well, did that specifically from the comics had too. Spunk. He was yeah. spirited. <laughs> Zod <laughs> had the man with a mission. But Zod was, had the sneaky. Nice, yeah. It was a nice well, twist in Act One to have the reason that Zod even rebelled was because he was supporting. Uh, he was supporting Jor-El's science. Yeah, I like yes. that. I thought that was I a like nice that twist. Whole I said yeah, a lot of stuff about the movie, but that was yeah. nice. That, well, that was, they were two friends. On the whole, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just saying there were two friends fighting, you know, which I think changes the game a little bit. When you know, it, I got the feeling that they were that they had, you know, they had been lifelong friends. Yeah, and they right were up until that coming point. to a showdown. Yeah. Right up until Zod stabbed him. <laughs> well, it, yeah. it seemed like that's that's the point where Zod kind of crossed the line. Up until Zod crossed the line, they, you know, they were unified. Yeah. Jarrell, look, a pony. <clears throat> Storyline as well in the comics, where Zod, when Jeff Johns was writing the character, was rebelling against the council because they were trying to suppress Jarrell and Nan's theories on the destruction of Krypton. So it, it you know, it, it felt natural, but I also like the fact that it felt like this was his genetic programming to its ultimate end. Yeah, just was, as Jarrell's. Jarrell's genetic programming of being a scientist caused him to get naked with his wife. I also like the fact that, you know, the best villain in his own mind thinks he's a hero, and that in Zod's mind, Jorel had gone over the line by procreating and going against the rules of Krypton, mm-hmm. whereas he was following out his purpose in life. He considered himself to be the hero of this story. But he was still a bad yeah. guy, too, which is oh, what he I... Oh, he was a bad guy, but, yeah, but in, his own mi- in his own deranged mind, he right. was the hero. It was no, basically that's... just his single-mindedness that made him a bad guy, you know. His, his just determination to go as far as he would have to do to maintain the... Re- and, you know, during normal Kryptonian life, it probably, <laughs> you know, you didn't have to worry about a Zod-type 
going nuts, but when the planet's about to die, you know, and which people get edgy. Yeah, he, he which, start taking extreme. Couldn't couldn't Superman have maybe used that against Zod at the end and say, "Look, if you don't stop what you're doing, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw myself in the sun, and you're never gonna get the Codex, and you're never gonna be able to bring back the." Bring back the Kryptonian race. I, I you know, think Superman could have very Zod easily just s- said to Zod, "Hey, look, man. I'm between gonna... now that we have these powers, between the the bunch of us, we can find you some planet somewhere, right? You know, I mean, that's it would it would be a little take a little longer, but I don't know why there was the hurry to turn Earth into the new Krypton compared to anywhere else, you know." I'm sure they could have found some place. Well, and Zod more than likely saw our species as significant. You know? Yeah, that's true, but, you know. But that actually well, still supports my argument that those pods did have the fetuses in them, because that's... He actually said that, too, when he was basically trying to commit suicide by a Superman cop. They destroyed everything I was created for, so... Might as well go out... He- but the, the, we're dealing with, like Mike, Mike Bailey pointed out, we're dealing with a society um, viewpoint rather than a genetic viewpoint because mm. they they could have totally been fucking the whole time. Oh, right. And creating little babies. Yeah. <laughs> but but in Zod's point of view, there's only yeah, one way. we all got a hold of an old book or something. Yeah, I mean, they <laughs> might be so many generations removed <laughs> from sex. Yeah, the yeah. ancient Kryptonian karma sutra. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I've got Ooh. a book. Where? <laughs> <laughs> you could have gone Island of the Blue Lagoon. You know, they figured it out. They seem to have done okay. Yeah, well, what would have been funny is that all the porn looked like the, like, you know, pantomime background of Jarrell's explanation of where <laughs> Yeah, there's there's got to be some of the metallic-shaped uh, dildos that they uh, transport people in the Phantom Zone somewhere around there. I just want the deleted scene of Laura and Jarrell sitting there naked while Kelex is showing them porn on that little screen that morphs and does everything. <laughs> oh my god! Out, <laughs> be no, 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 no. That goes over there, and that goes in there. It's, it'd be the. <gasps> You're not putting that in me. When we, no. we should do a fan cut. We'll do a fan edit, and we'll, and I've got one of those. <laughs> I've got one of those little pin, you know, pin boards, and I'll I'll like go to some strip club and like extra 20 bucks have somebody push the boob <laughs> up against it film it inject it into the the adult cut of man, <laughs> man of steel and let's be and let's be honest you know two virgins going at it for the first time is like you know a retard trying to hump a doorknob anyway so <laughs> oh yeah two pumps and a just, wiggle yeah i was about to say he probably had a hair trigger like a shotgun and it was the most disappointing moment of both of their lives <laughs> Whoops. Maybe they didn't even know. Maybe they just sort of fumbled into it and didn't figure out the whole nine-month difference, you know, between, you know. Your chocolate's in my peanut butter. Your peanut butter's in my chocolate. There might not have been a lot of correlation. You think trying to pull the, no, it's supposed to go in your ass first. <laughs> Oops, sorry. Sorry, sorry. This is not family edition. Well, no, no, but the thing, what, what I loved about, you know, Zod being so totally against the fact that they did have a physical relationship harkens back to the John Byrne Krypton, but yes. but not, not going all the way and and have you know having it be a societal thing, because I think as much as them, you know, we can get into the kind of eco 
themes of Krypton's destruction, which was, of course, handled with all the subtlety that Zack Snyder can bring to an original story. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. As in none. Uh, but the fact is, is that the society was dead long before Krypton exploded. Right. They didn't go into it because, again, we had to fill in a lot of these blanks. It's like Goyer's just like, you know, I, I, I told you everything about the Batmobile in Batman Begins. But, you know, the important things like how Krypton works as a society, eh, it's up to you. You figure it out. So that just annoyed the piss out of me. Uh, I thought they explained some things pretty well. I mean, they basically said, look, we, we colonized the universe, but we fucked up somewhere along the line and ran out of resources. And when our planet started dying... You know, we brought everyone back. Well, or I, they died out there. I because... got the impression that, like, the money ran out yeah. and everybody just sort of dried up on the vine out. They were left out, you know, hey, you guys are on your own, and they sort of got I was waiting the vine. for when they were going to explain where, you know, Zod all, all of a sudden, they packed an arsenal along with him, you know, when he went to the Phantom Zone. I'm glad they explained that, oh, we found a dead... Kryptonian outpost and stole their weapons. <laughs> and, and that kind of goes to the point of why Jarrell would tell him my son is going to be a better man than you because he didn't think he didn't think Zod was going to survive. Right. He thought Zod, Zod was either going to die with the rest of the planet or if they sent him to the Phantom Zone. I don't think they had any way of knowing that the destruction of Krypton was going to free them in the Phantom Zone, which, by the way, is more believable than Superman throwing an elevator into space and yeah. it blowing up. It, and it we were discussing it. that earlier, and it's like, oh, yeah, Phantom Zone more just more, happened yeah. to be going by at the right time. Yeah, and it's just so, a pane of glass yeah. that breaks. <laughs> well, you so, know, going, going into course. this, um, be, uh, knowing going it to see it the second time that I was going to be part of this uh, little discussion tonight, I took a notebook to take notes I took one note I made one note during the whole movie and it's why the fuck did Jor-El tell Zod about Kal-El <laughs> that's a good that idea because they were friends I guess and yeah. maybe he just kind of miss you know did, didn't totally read the situation I'm not sure he really <laughs> misread it. he really misread he the whole thing it. that's why thinking well yeah you can blame it on the writers and I think I have yeah. to keep coming back to several times it's like if you really want to get nitpicky about this movie, and there are plenty of, of holes, plenty of places, the, the, the ship's on different planets for 18,000 years and a costume shows up, and where did it come from? Who did the hood? Blah, blah, blah. A lot of the nitpicks, but it all started with Cal, uh, Jor-El totally misreading the fact that Zod is, uh, should not know that he, one, even had a son by natural means, right. and that, two... They're sending him off now. They actually had a chance at stopping that ship. And by way of exposition, I had a son in in a way that's going to upset you, and I've put into him all of the codex that you want, and (laughs) he's going to kick your ass. And, by the way, there goes the rocket ship with him in it. (laughs) Oh, but wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is point number down. Wait, wait. (laughs) If that was... Okay, wait. So he... He did tell him that the codex was in the ship when it was launching, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, so then Zod, and now am I to believe that's the only codex that they have? Yes. Yes. So Zod says, I, I, shoot that ship down. Yes. Bring that. He said, well, bring how it. that make any sense? <laughs> he said, bring it down. If bring that, it, well, oh, a, come on. Yeah, yeah, but they were going to know they were going to. But, but yeah, he, yeah, uh, but still, you're, you're if forgetting you, the more. If you wanted him alive, you'd, you should be very explicit about it when talking. Yeah, I want it down. Down, it's down too, alive. Yeah. 
it's yes. you know break Evo's codex, right? But he did. Uh, no, that was afterward. I'm sorry. I was going to say he did say, ask, "Does Kal El have to be alive to extract those?" But that was later in the movie. That was yeah, not. Yeah, no. There's like, oh, it's on the ship. Bring it down. Bring oh, it down. Okay. Well, you didn't say in one piece. You know. <laughs> right. That literally makes what with him putting that codex in him. It literally makes him the last son, daughter, mother, father, everything of Krypton. I thought that had some nice dramatic weight to it. Yeah. But like, like the genetic vestibule of Krypton. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I do so think what the sound movie, is as far as far as the Matrix goes, as far as this goes, I think what Byrne did. Uh, sorry, Michael. I, I I think that that when I first read the Man of Steel mini series from Byrne, I threw the damn book across the floor. Literally, I said, "Well, this sucks. This is. Are you kidding me? He's not really a baby born. He's just some goo Matrix thing." Uh, it, <laughs> It, it 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 literally destroyed. I mean, you know, you say silly Silver Age stuff, and I guess you know. I actually never have, by the way. I just want to point that you out. You have not. I... You have not. You have not. I agree. You have not. And in fact, that's one of the things that's kind of a little bit off topic. But uh, the 75th anniversary here that I've really enjoyed listening to a lot of these podcasts is guys like yourself and Scott and and Andy Leyland and others who are going back and rereading some of these older issues are finding that gee Wayne Boring and Kurt Swan really aren't terrible artists that everybody makes them out to be and Jerry Siegel and uh, Ben uh, 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 I've drawn a blank now who wrote a lot of the stories for Mort Weisinger yeah Mort Weisinger and, and a lot of these guys were really good writers Lex Luthor was a multi-faceted character he wasn't a one-dimensional guy there was a it lot was so going bad on. for him <laughs> You know, and there was a lot going on that, that, that because you guys have been doing a lot of these historic history of Superman shows, going back and reading this older material, uh, I'm loving the fact that you guys are, uh, are kind of finding this certain parts of the Silver Age kind of new. And I saw a lot of Silver Age stuff in this movie where people would say, well, no, it came from Byrne or it came from uh, Birthright maybe or uh, – you know, Mark Wade or some of these other guys, and I'm seeing Silver Age a lot, and uh, it it made me feel really good about it, except for the whole neck breaking thing. And to be fair, uh, after going through Jeff Johns' Secret Origin and the New 52, I have a brand new appreciation for those that went through Man of Steel, and 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 t- t- because of that. Um, that's another reason why this film, I think I accepted this film, not only because I saw a lot of what I like in Superman in it, but that at this point in Superman's history, he is a, he is, there isn't one history anymore. You know, up until 1986, yeah, there were little retcons and little tweaks here and there, and they kept adding elements to Krypton and, and, and to, and to super, you know, the Superboy mythos, but there was just kind of one history. And after man of steel for like 17 years there was one basic backstory and now in the past 10 we've gotten like 80 of them right there's a lot including grant morrison who i think also brought in some uh and again the non-linear way he told the story and i know some of you didn't care for that but I, i thought the the 12 issues of grant morrison's run did a lot to bring back some of the golden age and silver age 
things that we really loved about this character, uh, especially in some of his early years. And to me, like you, Michael, I, I think because I went through the burn thing. And I actually dropped out of comics in part of the 2000s. It was Jeff John's Brainiac. I go into a, uh, my comic shop. I hadn't been in doing comics for a while. My wife, I had a few minutes to kill, go into the comic shop and say, what's new with Superman? And she said, I just got this in. And it was the trade paperback of the Jeff John's Brainiac um, arc. And uh, I went ahead, bought that and thought, oh, well, if this is what Superman's like now, this is pretty cool. I'm coming back. And then, of course, he leaves the planet for two years to do the world of Krypton and walk around. And, <laughs> but, but, you know, I'll agree with you that the Silver Age is massively underrated. And the Silver Age vibe in All-Star Superman is what endeared it to me. Well, yes. I will use – occasionally I will say, yeah, Silver Age is silly. The, the word I'm going to use is fun. fun. And that's what I love about the Silver Age is that you can sit down and enjoy those comics without, without a lot of weight on them. Yes, this movie could be a little bit more fun, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, except like the scene when he's first learning how to fly and you see that look of delight on his face. It could have used more scenes like that. I, I, I agree with that. Uh, but, but that yeah. scene, but that scene and some of the other moments uh, in the film, uh, you know, he, here's the funny thing is that we, we they went through all of the trouble to to expand on Krypton and what the backstory there was. They went all to all the trouble to show that Jonathan Kent and what he meant to Clark as, as a kid. They went to all the trouble to establish Lois Lane and their relationship. But when it comes to one of the most important factors of the Superman mythos, we go back to the Golden Age where I'm just going to go get a job as a reporter so I can be there where the action is. <laughs> and I'm just like, I, really? <laughs> I, I think part of, part of that whole thing, though, is because they, I think they were viewing this as act one of a three-part, you know, three-part yes. story, and that they didn't want to weigh it down with having too much Clark Kent reporter. They figured we can, we can get to that next movie. And, and I don't think there was ever any question that they expected to have a sequel, and I don't think they wrote this one with any thought of this might be our only shot. But I also think, too, that, that following the Lois thing, with him being a reporter, seemed logical because of the way he saw what Lois did. How she, from the very beginning, as a good reporter, found out he was Clark. Nobody else did. Nobody else followed up those leads and found him right back to the farm. She did. But and you know what? He made, he made sure that the government people knew that he was from Kansas so that they could. Yeah, how stupid is that? Let's narrow the field down. Well, I'm from yeah, Kansas. You're not going to find right. out where I live. I grew up in Kansas. Kansas. Yeah. You may want. You may and, want to go to that God, farm. Never find out that I was raised on the Kent farm in Smallville, <laughs> and yeah. then Pete Ross and Lana Lang saw me save them. So don't go talk to them like Lois did. So yeah, yeah. Really and, and there was no other reason why there was a uh, alien invasion in Smallville. She <laughs> 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 chose to go to this one farm and beat up my mother. <laughs> Though I have to say, the scene where he grabs him and is beating on him through the cornfield, through That's the my mother. I got yeah. I gotta say there is something kind of primal about the fact that it wasn't so much that he's a bad guy or that he, you know, killed his father, which he didn't know about yet, but you know, that he was the the bad no did he know that he killed Zod had killed him at that point? Yeah, he did yes. know about it. Yeah, he did. So it's not all that, it's you messed with my mom, so I'm gonna awesome. beat your ass. Because of that, 
I thought and that I was a great was moment. more of that type of fighting. Yeah, that was a great <laughs> moment. But I thought when I saw it, I'm thinking, is Superman left-handed or do they just want to shoot it from that angle? Because he hit it with all of his left hand. Left, 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 left. Didn't hit him with a right hand at all. Well, he's a southpaw. He's like Rocky. So in the second <laughs> one, he's going to purposely switch. <laughs> <laughs> with the left hand, and then just bring that out as the haymaker at the end. It's going to be like Rocky, too. Though I, I do have a, a, a fun, fun question for the group. Um, so at the beginning of the what? film, we see him save the oil rig, and then we see him go and steal some clothes, and then we see him walking through a town and then hitchhiking. Anybody get an Incredible Hulk television series vibe from that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. exactly. Absolutely. Except, with except Michael David Banner no would typically clip money to the wire when he took clothes. Yep. Mow the lawn with his heat vision. That's True. what I said. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, there's an issue with that. I, I really would... like that plot device. I really, I actually went into this wanting to see a Nolan-esque type Superman. And that might be a rare opinion. But I wanted to see something where a little more, not really, you know, dark and gritty necessarily, but I like that Realistic. they... They didn't go far enough, in my opinion, of like, I thought like the army interview should have been longer. I mean, I was really looking forward to seeing how they would play that angle on, you know, Superman's not instantly, oh boy, we've got this, you know, alien living amongst us for 33 years. Let's, you know, just make him our champion immediately. I like the whole angle of him having to give himself up, so to speak, to, to save us and which is which is how I thought that was going to play out when they first released that image is yeah. that mm -hmm. he's giving himself up, you mm -hmm. know, basically to prove that he's not the threat. Right. Right. Uh, you know, and that and that was nicely played out, and even to the point, you know, somebody mentioned I forget who that you know when he snaps the cuffs, it is so casual, and it's not like let's cut the crap here. It's you know him trying to convince these people, look, I'm not the threat here. I have willingly given myself up. And the conversation between him and Lois, yeah, the, the whole, you know, let's call you Sue, and then they interrupt it thing. Yeah, that's kind of silly, but that look on his face uh, just charmed the hell out of me when he says, and if it makes him feel better, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, yeah. that's why I thought Cavill was great. I thought he great. embodied that, conf that confidence of Superman, but it's like a good-natured, easygoing yeah. confidence. And... You know, I, I, I thought he and, and, like, it was fun watching. When he was on, the, all the other actors did their job well, but when he was on the screen and when, oddly enough, Russell Crowe were on the screen, they they pretty much lit up the screen for me. They yeah, I thought agreed. they were the strongest Absolutely, performances. Yeah. Agreed, agreed. They, I think in that particular yeah, scene, that scene when, when when he's in the handcuffs and everything, when they showed that in the coming attraction, that was one of the things that filled me with the most apprehension about the tone of this movie. And as it turns out, I thought that was one of the strongest scenes in the movie. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it it totally had me thinking he, the wrong. Thing. He was not the moper man that I thought he was no. he was going no. to be. No. Uh, but and, I, uh, I I think this the script wasn't helping either been, of those though. guys. <laughs> well, no, I think no, we all agree that that it, that it is a, a ten or fifteen minutes less of fighting and buildings falling, and ten or fifteen minutes more character development in those little yeah, scenes. I agree. Would have would have just turned this movie into because, something because the actors were the strong point of the movie. It was the Absolutely. same with Star Trek Absolutely. with me. I I would love to see those actors if their egos and salaries and agents allowed it to be on a TV show. You yes. know, we're just with some workmanlike director 
or maybe even them when they get their chops directing it and doing week by week episodes. Same with Superman. I wouldn't mind seeing this cast, you know, in the hands of definitely. I, you know, I'm I. It hurts me to say this, but yeah, I could I I could see them letting Zack Snyder do it again. Just get him a better writer, somebody who gives him better material, because the actors can handle it. They don't even need a director. They they enough for David Goyer. He's not awful, but I just want someone. I don't think he's a good. He's you know. I mean, Goyer's Goyer's a good idea man, like putting ideas on a table. But with like the Dark Knight trilogy, you had uh, Christopher Nolan's brother coming in, fleshing out some of those ideas, and I think that could have been used here. A little bit of script doctoring. It's a lot. I wasn't overly impressed with what. His name Jonathan Nolan, is it? Yeah. He gave he gave some of the better character moments to the story. Well, I, yeah, except he wrote the third one, and that's a hunk of ass. The, the, no, but, yeah. Okay, the people went into the third one just not giving a shit. They're like, yeah. look, we got to fulfill this contract. Let's get this out. <laughs> <laughs> with, with Zack Snyder, like when, when I watched Watchmen, I thought the acting performances were really, really flat. So my yes. thought is Snyder, Snyder can't pull out a good performance from somebody who's not otherwise going to give it to you. So I'm giving the credit to this cast right. no, for being able to give a great performance agent. on their own. Whoever the yeah. casting agent was in this movie is one of the is one of the things that saved it. You know, the 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 people who made the decision to put Cavill in there, which was That's a great decision. Yeah, yeah. However, whoever, even if it was Snyder, then they're great at casting for the <laughs> at least in this movie. Yeah. Um, with the exception of Kevin Costner, I liked every, I liked, every, every actor in their role. I liked yeah. Kevin Costner in it. I just didn't like his pa Kent. I turned to Scott during the movie yeah. and I go, I do not like pa Kent. And it wasn't the way he was portraying him. It was the way he yeah. was written. And you know, and his death, I, I yeah. thought, let's I, go ahead. Let's talk about that now. Let's yeah. Go ahead Cause I thought in this Parker. movie, they sort of took what, Pa Kent imparted into Superman or Clark in this Superman that I'm used to or or traditionally in Superman films and transferred that role to Jor-El. And it was like, to me, Pa Kent was holding him back. And uh, Pa Kent was, and he was given this weird mixed message, like someday they're going to, you know, and, you know, someday, someday, but he wasn't giving him anything no. to build on so for that someday. Someday you're going to have to yeah. reveal yourself. He wasn't doing anything to hone his... give you any cliff notes on and, and And it isn't until Clark finds Holo Dad that all of a sudden he lights up and he's like, ah, I found my real dad and, you know, and, and well, all that. And he doesn't suck who, like Jonathan. But, who gives but him that, fair. like, you will be the hope for, for mankind. I always wanted that to always picture that coming from Pa Kent being mm-hmm. Pa Kent is speech that, that I don't Brando know about anybody else. Yeah, yeah that's what I that's what it reminded me of as well. What's what? Brando gives a Brando speech gives. like that. Yeah. Yeah, and I hated the Brando speech, to be honest. <laughs> I hated that Brando speech. I love the Brando speech. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And most people do. Most people do, but it just got too I am the God, you are the son, you are my right. last Gun, yeah. Jesus, go down and save these poor, stupid humans. Well, they got <laughs> Brando. They got they, Brando to say they it. They had. They, had, yeah, they, they were had just doing like a crucifix fall after saying after Jarrell had telling him he can save everyone. Well, so to be fair, it wasn't that man. It wasn't yeah. Superman against a stained glass freaking oh, Jesus. God, you know, I could have like eliminated that. that entire scene. That entire <laughs> scene had no purpose. It didn't do anything. Up. You're the right. Best, 
Uh, was him your guy is trying to tell him something but he's heard enough now okay i'm not going to get anything from here am i (laughs) (laughs) moving on (laughs) well you can't tell anybody anyway (laughs) i'd have no problem i'd have no problem with him talking to the priest but geez the stained glass at least they didn't go off for six seconds is what i'm saying you know you know uh, the pock hint i do want to say that snyder said that the killing of zod was to set up the Superman's aversion to killing. That's what fucking Pa Kent is for. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but... mm-hmm. That's the way I saw it, though. That, that, character. Was, that was for me. Bruce Wayne with the gun. Bruce Wayne would have killed Go- Joe Chill if somebody else didn't. This was, you know, just Superman got to kill the guy he was supposed to before he realized that killing was bad, okay? So, Superman <laughs> will <laughs> never <laughs> kill again, but that was the reason. But you know, what I said before, really good Jonathan's role is to, to, to give him his humanity and to teach him how to be a man, not to teach him that he's different from everybody else, which this Paul no, Kent, that's all he said through the whole right, movie. This, you're, different, you're different, you're different, you're different. It's like I bought the opposite this, though, of what I pictured Pa Kent to be. And I, that, I really yeah, liked that's, it. That's, that's the era we're in, and that's the Superman that, that suddenly is... Right. The Superman we've got to read now, unfortunately. But you, know, you think about Siegel and Schuster, and these are guys who came from, you know, kind of an immigrant background. And the Superman that they created was a guy who came here, really the ultimate American immigrant. Mm-hmm. He came here, he assimilated into our culture, he found a way to use his unique abilities to make everybody's, you know, to make society a little better. Uh, but he blended in and became a part of the fabric of our culture, whereas this guy em- is. Embraced the best qualities of it. Yeah, yeah. But this guy, you know, he sits off to the side and goes, oh, gee, I can never be like them. Well, except at the end them. when he says, I was raised in Kansas, and that's the message I think he's given there. Right. right. But, you know, just before that, when he first made his appearance uh, in front of the army, when the military was all ready and he hovered above them and said, you know, let Lois Lane go. That was that, a great to visual. Me, that was a great visual, but also for some reason that was like the first thing we hear him speak to normal humans uh, as Superman, and it was a great visual, and he sounded alien. He sounded, for the first time, totally different than the casual guy we had seen talking throughout the movie. Was, to me, that, that was, was one of the... cop voice. He was using his, his cop voice. You know? <laughs> yeah, it was, but it was a very serious. I thought, wow, that was the most one of the most impressive visuals in the movie, was him now, just hovering. I would have to go back and look, but was that visual shot... An homage to Kingdom Come. It yeah, it felt like it for me. Too. It felt like Kingdom Come oh. to me, but so did the 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 religious talking to the preacher thing. I felt well, no, that, that that was that was more of the Brian Azzarello, Jim Lee, uh, abortion. Oh, right, right, uh, right. For tomorrow. Except in this case, it actually made right. sense. And and it didn't wow. take six issues to play out. Uh, yes, for me, <laughs> I would have been I would have been much right. better off with I would have been much more willing to take the whole talking to the priest thing if they didn't have Jesus wearing a red cape in the background. Yes, <laughs> well, uh, yes, yes, yes. As well, I in the Bible, the, Jesus is uh, seen many times. Home, you know. Blonde hair and a red cape. I, um... For me, and, and, and it was really odd, because... Sorry. I am, I am a huge fan of Jonathan Kent being the center of, of Clark's morality... But again, if you're going to do something that's a little different while still getting to the same destination, I kind of liked the fact that it was Jarrell that was do that was approaching that role. Mm-hmm. And just for box office numbers, you want to put more Russell Crowe on screen. 
than you, yeah, maybe, than you do Kevin Costner these days. Well, it, it's not so much that, because I, I think when a director makes Kevin Costner work, he's actually really decent in the roles that he does. When he's just he makes as many panties moist as Russell yeah. does, though. But, <laughs> not these days. But no. to, yeah. The way I saw Jonathan was, and, and I really liked this, as a man that loved this son so much that he wanted to protect him to a fault. It's kind of the natural evolution of John Schneider's Jonathan Kent from Smallville, who, mm-hmm. again, coached him, you have to hide what you can do. Uh, you know, don't let, you know, people are, you know, people. It's it's kind of like the extreme of that. But to me, it, you know, yeah, it was a weird mixed message thing of you need to hide what you can do. But one day when you show people what you can do, you're going to have to decide what kind of man you're going to right. be. Even the Glenn Ford version had an element of you can't let this stuff out yet. You know, when he yeah. was. Yeah. yeah. No, but, yeah. but, but right. Glenn Ford had more of a taught. don't be, still. don't be just indulging your every whim. Right. You know, when he starts talking was, about how he could beat up the guy. responsibility lecture yeah, is what it he, was. He was kind of like saying, wait until you mature, until you know how to use your powers before you... But- but Costner did them. the same thing when those guys yeah. wanted to beat him up, and he and he wouldn't fight back. And I, no, I, that I was actually a good really, scene. I loved that scene because it was just like that would have made you feel any better. And and even that whole, well, I would have kind of liked to seen that too. And that that calls back to the scene with the trucker, uh, mm. which was probably <laughs> one of the best laughs of the movie when he shoves him and yeah. nothing <laughs> freaking happens. That, like, that was a great scene. And yeah. At that point, why do you continue trying to... It's like, look, if, if I'm if I'm squaring off against somebody and I shove them and I'm giving them my best and, and I get like nothing but resistance, I'd and, be back off. And they're calm, cool. He was dead, <laughs> yeah. calm, cool, collected. The guy pushed him. He did not move at all. Yeah, just, but there and, was and alcohol I, involved. So, and there was, and I just love that look on his face. Like, are you really trying to do this? And 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 I've been, and I kind of read online. It's like, well, somebody was complaining that you know, well, what he did with the truck was irresponsible. I'm like, no, he was getting get back the only way he really could. It's not like he went in and beat up a guy and threw him into a pinball machine. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the, <laughs> one of my favorite scenes, by the way. No, he was actually doing he was doing a public service because that guy was drunk. Yes, he should exactly. not have been driving. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, that scene, he go. could have taken his keys, but that was that sent a better message. Well, that scene with Jonathan that you mentioned when, when the kid is trying to start a fight with him and he backs off, that's the scene that Jonathan was written the way I want Jonathan to be written. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. right. It was, it was like, face. yes, you've chosen not to use your powers here, but at the same time, I think the Jonathan that that we're think that I'm thinking of wouldn't have been as in, wouldn't have had the uh, this is an old from the trailers, but wouldn't have had the ambiguous conversation of like, well, maybe you might have to let a bunch of kids die. Instead, I think he would have had the conversation of like, you're gonna have to figure out ways to get around people seeing you. Right. And, you know, and, and doing this stuff since you're really fast, maybe you can do this. But, you know, no, I, sh- I, you I, shouldn't let a busload of kids die. I mean, that's just the, sort the, of the main thing there, though, is that I think there is a perception that Jonathan Kent needs to be in foul. Yes, um, he does. And, and, well, yeah, not he, not, he not as much infallible, but <laughs> idealized. He has to be that sort of iconic, and, kind, but not weak. 
you know, all American. Yeah. John and God. He needs to be infallible in his morality. Salt of the earth. Angry God. Salt of the earth. Yeah, salt. The salt of the earth. You know, to give you the shirt off his back. Fair and fair and open-minded. You know. Right. I I think the way John Schneider was presented well, as Jonathan Kent was awesome. This th- this sort of brings me into something I've been thinking about a lot since I saw the movie, and and it's it's uh, you know the whole like Jonathan Kent Superman killing the dark, you know whatever the perceived dark image of the movie. Um, I'm I'm not steeped in Superman outside of the movies and videos. I've read comics. Here and there, Scott Gardner would make me read them when I was a kid, but not really any of the <laughs> modern stuff. And so I know what I know from, you know, um, Secret Origins of Superheroes and stuff mm-hmm. like that, the basics of Superman. And I sort of picture, like I said in my review, the movies as being this broad stri- These are this, this is Superman that comes to the general public. And the general public is made up of the comic fans, but the comic fans are a sliver of that. And in comic world, where you're reading the comics, you can have nuance, you can have crazy stories that go this way and that way. Superman has survived basically doing... Superman's probably done just about everything that you can think of that he could do at some point in a real or an imagined story. He made a porn movie with Big Barda once. And that was hot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but you know, I mean, in it, and even in movies and stuff. But I think the movies should sort of represent this. If it's going to be for everybody, it's sort of and and they always knock themselves out. At least the last this one in the in Superman Returns, which nobody's even mentioned up until this time. I'm proud of all. Oh, of I have this. something to say about that. Um, but. <laughs> 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 the only thing I have to say on Superman Returns is you would never have heard as much discussion, civil or uncivil, about Superman Returns as this movie has has promoted. So right, right. Um, but um, uh, what what the hell was I gonna say? Comic books. Yeah, but 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 both of these movies have tried like threw in a lot of things to try to make everybody happy because you're going for a general audience and you're going for an international audience and all that. They're trying to get. Everything they can get in there and all that. But I think what gets lost, what's been getting lost lately is, and it's really funny coming from me because I am single, have no kids, don't plan on ever having kids. Kids, and I, I like kids to a limited extent, but for the most part, they annoy me. <laughs> and yes, when they can, they're a necessary evil. Yes, yes, they, they, they breathe in my air a lot of the times. And but when I see something like Superman, I I think okay this is a first, this is and people talk about well this is a Superman for the new generation, and it's like it's a Superman for the new generation of adults, mm-hmm. and yes. and you have it's PG thirteen. When you come out of it, you got to have the conversation with your kid after going to a Superman movie of, ah why did Superman kill that man you know. Or whatever, have the conversation of, so what did you think about Superman? You know, you have to have a conversation usually. Um, and yeah, but is, maybe not. Is, is that maybe fair? Because it, to me, it seems like with like you got for the kids, you got some of the animated stuff for the kids. And you have comics that are aimed for the kids. But those comics and those animated things, they got enough stuff to keep us adults happy. As a matter of fact, I love them a lot more 
times in the movies. Yeah. And so well, I, I sometimes think it's not fair to the kids that they don't have that kind of goofy, the, the goofy edge to it or the ideal, or not even goofy, but the idealized that seems trite edge to Superman. And I'll agree with that. But at the same time, you were going to have awkward. One, P- but Superman Returns was PG thirteen too. I don't know why Greg Rucka forgot this uh-huh. when he went on his public campaign of getting a. You know, why does a Superman film have to be PG thirteen? Because I didn't hear a word one about that when that when Superman Returns was coming out. In Superman Returns, you also have to talk about the fact that Superman had sex with Lois Lane and had a kid. Now, is that the same as somebody dying and getting and, and him? snapping somebody's neck no it felt just as alien to me it felt it 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 felt just as inner interjected to me is that it it was they were both those were both moments where i was just like oh i thought thought the super stalker in superman returns was more a betrayal of the character (laughs) than snapping his neck this should have eliminated that entirely from superman 2 the whole fortress sex scene should have been totally eliminated then we would have had a good Superman Returns, not based on the worst scene in Superman 2. <laughs> but, but here's the thing, though. I think this movie is a reaction to the mistake that was Superman Returns. The biggest Agreed. mistake of Superman Returns wasn't that he was away. It wasn't the kid. It's just in t- It was that in 2006, you know, several years after Spider-Man hits the big screen... A year after Batman is redefined for a new generation, uh-huh. because you know Batman Begins is my favorite of that line because it felt more like a Batman film than the other ones did. But in 2006, oh, yeah. they did a warmed-over version, and 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 what I hate is when people are like they did a warmed-over version of the Donner films. Okay, one Richard Donner directed one movie. He directed a great movie. I love that movie, but. To put everything about those that franchise onto Donner, I think, is kind of disrespecting kind of Christopher Reeve because Christopher Reeve was really the one that carried that series. But to do a totally carried over, those, yeah. To 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 put an actor like Brandon Routh, who I think has chops and could have done a wonderful job with a new version of Superman. Yeah. To to basically say act like Christopher Reeve, and then to have Kate Bosworth. As the, my favorite Lois Lane ever. I mean, everything about Ugh. this film was one misstep after another, but because that did so badly, and the reaction to it was, it's too much like what came before, yeah, I think they went over this one. Yeah. I, I knew before I walked into that movie, because I did what I didn't do this time. This time, I avoided spoilers. I avoided as much as I possibly could, especially after one came out that Krypton did, doesn't explode. Oh, no, it's terrible. Blah, blah. So, But for the Superman Returns, uh, I was looking at those little updates that Singer put up. and, and But just reading the very first comments that he made about... Uh, um, that they were basing it on the fact that Superman and Lois have a child together, and he doesn't know she. Did, he's been gone. Oh, the whole thing was just terrible, and I knew from the beginning I was going to hate that movie, but I still went to see it and yep. hated it. Well, it, it, most uh, of it, except the airplane scene was incredible, the, and yes. the, the bullet in the eyeball was incredible. Yeah, but well, the 
the rest of the movie, the story, the acting, everything about it, it was not fair to Brandon Ralph to put him in that situation. It was a terribly written story, and it was based on the worst part of Superman 2. I'd make one good movie out of Superman 1 and Superman 2 and cut out all of that fortress love scene, figure out another way for him to lose his powers because <laughs> that was kind of cool. But, but one good movie out of those two first ones. And then you'd have an exciting movie, and you, we wouldn't have the abortion that was Superman Returns. And to be fair, as as as, as wearing as the action was, at least we never got like a dude's toupee flying off. And <laughs> and, 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 there's, and, and, and by saying that, you know, it makes it seem like I'm trying to mock what has come before. And I think that I have established in in, in the podcasting community that I have a love and respect for those films, but at the same time. There were some silly aspects to them that, that you really can't age. overlook. <laughs> and so, you know, Mister Luther, Mr. Luther, uh, Mr. Luther, Mr. Luther, I'm sorry. Uh, well, sorry, that's well, my remember that the, 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 the age of the people who were m- making that movie—they were all <laughs> middle-aged men. Everybody who was <laughs> making that movie, so their version vision of Superman was really kind of 20 years set yeah, back was, from the average going, comic reader the at that the time. And, and, and to give them credit, I mean, they were terrific movies. Again, I remember yes. in that theater seeing when he flew from the back of the fortress to the, to the camera, kind of waved and, and flew away. I'm telling you, in D.C. in 78, the theater stood up and cheered. Well, that's, that's the thing. And when he caught that helicopter and Lois made that... That was an incredible feeling in that theater with those people. Well, that's that's the thing, I, and it's funny. I just realized that Scott and I saw this movie on Father's Day, and exactly a year before that, I saw the original Superman in a revival theater down the street, and every little kid was like almost standing up in their seats in awe all through the whole, even through the slow part at the beginning. And, and they were getting wound so up during, and the and you know, the, and their parents were getting wound up because they remember being and they're feeding off their kids. When I saw Superman Returns, it's not like anybody was grumbling when they left, but nobody was a buzz with like, did you see that? And that part, when that part happened, it was just like I was grumbling. Well, I yeah, I'm I'm sure there were people, <laughs> there were people grumbling. Going, like, wow, can yeah. you believe he's got a kid? Yeah, but but yeah. I I'm, and how does she not know? How does she get pregnant, carry a kid, have him for five years, and not know who the hell the father is? You're telling me Lois was sleeping with everybody around? I mean, we know the super kiss, but my God, the kid's throwing pianos around. Oh, gee. It's not like she's a reporter or anything. No. Yeah, exactly. Her job is to find facts. Apparently, while he was off the planet for five years trying to find himself in Krypton, she was... God knows what she yeah. was doing. Yeah, five minutes after he says, I'll never let you down again to the president, he throws the deuces and is out of there. So. <laughs> and gone. Oh, jeez. So, you see, I think people are getting it when, and when I say people getting it wrong, it's the people who are making the movies. When they when they analyze like Superman Returns and go, oh, it's too much like the Donner film or the, the, the first two, you know, so we're going to go the opposite way. But it all comes down to it. It comes down to writing because mm-hmm. if you got if if you work hard enough or you get a good enough writer, you can write an idealized quote unquote corny Superman story that you know, I can see the reviews now going, 
Yeah, well, you know, everybody wants a, a modernized suit, but this one made me, you know, believe in the Boy Scout again, you know, if you write it correctly, you know, and, and you take the time and you focus on that aspect of it. But with movies like this, these huge summer blockbusters, the focus is really making as much money as, yeah, and not just because they're capitalist pigs or whatever, but because if you want to make another movie... If you want, you know, and there's they're trying to go the Marvel route and maybe have a Justice League movie or whatever. So there's a lot of like, okay, we got to really rake it in with this and that'll give us freedom to do or, you know, more leeway to do it again. And so so all of a sudden it becomes a scientific project where you're like, okay, well, we need to do more, you know, less of Superman with an American flag because this is going to go international so you want to keep it more just the human race rather than you know America and all these little things to get everybody and i i personally don't think they were like oh we need this i think maybe goyer and snyder said to nolan oh yeah yeah no no we need to he have him kill him because he set it up so that's why he doesn't kill and that was their reason to get nolan to go okay all right go go ahead do it but i think it was part of the chemistry to get nerd world a buzz and arguing about sure. it and talking about it and lively and is it right is it bad is yeah. it good yeah too bad that, that that's the work. funny that's the funny thing is because when it happened i mean when when the, when the snap happened my, my first thing was a very audible holy crap um, <laughs> and, and my second thought and it was the depressing one was jesus we are going to be arguing about this for the next six months at least and two days later i was proven right <laughs> yeah yeah and and Sorry. my my first thought was actually not in a like direct sense although although your name did bubble up into my mind is I was like, that was my first thought is like, how are the the hardcore Superman enthusiasts going to feel about that? Because I knew I didn't like it, but I'm like, because I was thinking, yeah, I'm probably not going to like this movie, but a lot of people are going to like it, you know, and uh, and all this. And, and you know, I'm not going to begrudge them that. But then I saw that and I'm like, oh, my God, for to, to me, for some reason in my brain, I thought. That's going to be a deal breaker, even with the people who are even disposed to loving this movie. That's real. It's. I wonder how it's going to affect it. And it did. I was completely wrong with that. It did not seem to be a deal breaker with most everybody. Yeah, I thought it would be a bigger uh, deal breaker for more hardcore Superman fans than it was. That's what I thought. But, That's who I thought it would be a deal breaker with, and it yeah. turns out to be the opposite, actually. Yeah, it it was amazing because the people I was with watching the movie, <clears throat> that was not the, the main crux of it because they aren't Superman people. They didn't know that Superman, and I'm changing my, my terminology, shouldn't kill. But um, they were more uh, upset at the collateral damage and uh, the fact that the fight went on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, and you didn't do the the character moments enough but my first thoughts too were were right after it um while he's bringing down the the satellite thing i'm thinking of the superman community going nuts i'm thinking holy crap and i must admit michael bailey's name came up in my little brain <laughs> I, wow. I thought uh, well i've been talking to you guys for years you just never heard yeah. me until now 
Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like but uh, I've been yelling at you guys forever. But anyway, uh, I did think Michael Bailey, but I didn't think you were going to like it. But I thought some people are going to be trying to justify this. Some people are going to hate it. But the thing I know is there is going to be a chasm in the Superman community. How is it going to survive? Because the regular people, they're more normal humans have seen this movie already than have read a comic book in the last 20 years. It'll survive. Oh, yeah. There's well, well, going to be some more scars on its face, that's all. I, I, have, <laughs> I have a theory about Superman fandom. I've talked about this in the past, but I've, I've been able to better articulate, uh, better articulate the argument. Superman, as a character, is like Christianity. And what I mean by that is, is that there's different denominations of Christianity. You have Lutherans, you have Methodists, you have Baptists, Lutherans, you have Lutherans. <laughs> you know, you, you have Roman Catholics, you have Mormons, etc. And within that, you have the dom- denominations that are a little more laid back and more accepting of the others. And on the other hand, you have the faiths that are like Catholics aren't Christians. So extrapolating <laughs> that to Superman fandom, you have the people like like I evolved into. Because believe me, five years ago, you probably would have gotten a completely different direction, uh, a, a reaction. Ten years ago, you definitely would have. But because I went through my, my walking away from the Superman comics like Bob did back in 1986 and then come back to it, my mind was kind of changed about it. My, I, I came to the conclusion that there are different iterations of this character. There are ones that I prefer. There are elements of all of them that I like. But in the end, when something comes along, it's just another version of the myth, and I have to take it on those merits. But there are some people, and I'm not saying it's bad, and I'm not saying that they're evil or wrong, but there are some people that have a very strict and, you know specific version of superman in their head and when something deviates from that it kind of sends up the red flags again one's not right you know my perception is not the right perception and i would not try to impose that on other people but that's where we are as the superman community we can agree to quote bill maxwell from the pilot episode of the greatest american hero on how to make kool-aid we all know we like this guy with a red S on his chest and a cape that flies. Beyond that, you get eight Superman fans in a room from random bits of Superman fandom. You're going to have a fight in minutes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, that, and now, that's just where I came from on this. So is For me, Scott Gardner initially... the Rasputin the Mad Monk of Superman? <laughs> 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 I want to know who the I want to know who the the, the Scientologist Superman fans are. <laughs> well, I'm thinking I'm, I'm going to be a Greco-Roman multi-theist, so I can have Thor and Zeus in the same. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was somebody that uh, I pretty well on record, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier. For me, it was initially a deal breaker. I think all in all, it was a tough pill to swallow. It was a hard thing for me to put in perspective. But like Michael, my evolution i guess has been that okay you know i there's gonna be different things that we throw on on the on the table some of them will remain some of them will be swiped away and in the end it just became something where i'm like can i accept this can i live with this and the answer was yes it was oh, just, i can, it was I can live with it too i didn't like it but i can live with it it's just to me <clears throat> They, you know, and and there's been the ar- ongoing argument on the internets about this. Uh, you know, 
did he have a choice? Did he have no choice? You know, my first thought is that family could have just stood up and run out of the room while he was home. <laughs> no, he had them backed into the corner. But uh, but he could have gouged out Zod's eyes. Right, or either... They it, couldn't have ducked under those beams. I mean, he was holding his head still. They could have dove under those beams. Either way, yeah, or just here in the headlights, or either way, you know, they were like, Superman had no choice. And, and it, given the context of the script and the story, Superman did have no choice. And his logical conclusion... And even if I was somebody who made an oath not to kill, your logical conclusion is just that you would have to kill him. You got to stop. I, had to stop Zod. Had to stop Zod, no matter what. How Zod. else can you stop him but kill him at that point? Right. Since you're of equal power, really, and he's so, you know, out of insane, out of insane, out of control, and so much more powerful than everybody else yes. on the planet. So, I wonder how many times they shot that scene because Cavill sold it. I mean, oh, I yeah. don't think it would have been yeah. effective other than Cavill sold the anguish. Well, but, but oh, yeah. Yeah, had, had he done it clearly in any way, then it would have been a deal breaker. But the, the, yeah. the you, fact you, that, you that, are, that it that tortured him. But yeah. what everybody's saying is, okay, you know, <laughs> that's what Superman had to do. It was the only, the only choice. My qualm with it is the choice was made. It's it's not like somebody was like, oh, okay, we need a new fil- Superman movie. Let's follow Superman around and film whatever happens. <laughs> oh, yeah, Superman was forced to kill in that. You know, Superman, in the context of the story, was forced to kill. But in the context of the script, nobody was for- Nobody was breathing down. The-, the studio wasn't going, now we want no. Superman to be to kill in this movie. They had to sit down and go... I think I want him to snap Zod's neck in this. And that's where I think that it's almost a form of trolling in a way. (laughs) I think they started with that. I think that was the first thing that they came up with and worked backwards. And then they foreshadowed it. I want Superman to kill Zod. How do we do that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then you set up the given the interviews that we've seen come out that that's inti- that's exactly what happened and nolan was against it well nolan i thought they had you, it ri- i thought they had it written basically where you know that that the end was where they got sucked back into the phantom zone and that, that was that. the original ending and then they're like well we need to have him kill him and nolan's like i don't think that's a really good idea i think they just wanted another fight <laughs> at the end a more you know mano a mano but, boss but, but, but let me ask this okay you know Feelings on him killing Zod aside, would it have been as satisfying that at the end of the fight he kicks him into the Phantom Zone? No, it, that that no. ending was no. not as was not it. Did, I knew that wasn't the ending when we saw that because it didn't feel it felt like a early ending. You know what I mean? It didn't have a yeah. satisfying like this. Conclu- well, there we go. Superman's won. It was just sort of like they got sucked in. Now that was because they knew they were going to have the Zod fight. If they would have just had it end there. They could have done a longer scene with maybe, you know, Lois getting sucked in and Superman fighting against that and Zod and everybody in the ship like, we'll kill you if we ever get out, you know, or something to make it stra- and have more of a rhythm to where it builds and then they're gone. Or, or Lois still had the Krypton gun and she just shot Zod and killed him. Or yeah, or so- yeah, yeah. But maybe if she did it to went, save ah, him. Ah, ah, ah. Mm-hmm. That could have had some resonance if she ultimately killed Zod to yeah, save him. not a bad she idea killed, at all. Because she killed a couple of... She, what, those weren't just robots and and uh, uh, holograms that she was shooting on the on the spaceship. Those were other Kryptonians, right? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't know if she killed them, though. No. Well, she shot them, and they went down. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, I mean, an argument could be made for both sides of that, is my right. point. Right. Maybe it was yes. on stun. Jor-El, on stun setting, right? It might have been on stun you know, setting. To your you right, can, fire, you bang. Just keep stunning someone till they're, uh, <laughs> till they died, maybe. Yeah, uh, maybe. It, either way, it's just like, that's where I think a lot of, and Goyer and Linda Hoff's another one, where they can write like a workmanlike movie, but then when they try to meddle with the deeper subtexts and stuff, they get them in there, but they handle them very awkwardly, you know, and they, and, you know, this, this had all kinds of elements and subtext in it. It had, um, um, a sort of with Zod as almost like a Nazi or, you know, somebody who is into, you know, a master race or, or, you know, at least, at least controlling the race and, you have nine eleven subtext yeah. in there just visually, and you know all these things going on in it. But they're just as if it's as if they knew they wanted to put this stuff in there, but they didn't really know how to to do it right, you know. And and when they tried to do things that had real resonance to it, it just it, it came off as awkward. And it, it the the thought of them working backwards from Superman kills. To the beginning, that's just, that's for some reason that's disturbing to me, and I'm usually one who likes darker, you know. Like when Scott and I were growing up, I was always the one who was like, I would read the weird, drugged out Alan Moore thing and be like, "This is awesome," and Scott would be just like, "Oh, come on, man, this is yeah, really." What are you high? Oh wait, yeah. oh wait, oh <laughs> wait. <laughs> I got a, I got a yeah, fun exactly. I got a fun quick question for the group, and this is especially towards the the Silver Age guys. It was to be clear it, now. Yeah. I wasn't really alive during the Silver Age so much as I got to read them later. But you've got well, silver that's hair. Fine, yeah, but, that's but true. the idea uh, so. <laughs> that when he saves the bus, you know, it's Lana and Pete that that know his secret, but. During the IHOP scene, where I did yell out really loud, "All I wanted was a Rudy Tootie, fresh and fruity," just because I thought it was funny. Um, I thought it, there was this, there was a little quick scene where Pete Ross looks at Superman, and there's this like hint of recognition, and I just love the idea that Pete Ross will keep his secret after that, that he knows Clark yeah. is Superman. But he's going to keep it. I thought that was handled well. Which is true to the original. That's what that eye contact was. I had to ask about that. If they actually made the eye contact of recognition, um, my eyes aren't quite as good as they should be. I'm blind. But I I had to ask, and I said, they they (laughs) made a little eye contact there at the last. So Pete knows now that Clark is Superman, the new alien. So, you know, that does lead to the next... um, well, leads to wherever it was. Pete really had nothing to do with it after that. I was thinking that maybe he would have something in that moment to uh, uh, distract the other Kryptonians or do something, but all they did was look at each other. Kind of like in the Hardy's commercial, Superman looks at him and goes, oh, hi there, and flies yeah, that, off. That, that, sorry, I love that. <laughs> that actually what sold me on Cavill as Superman before I saw a frame of a film. When he landed and had that little bit of like, sorry, I did that and flew off. I'm like, oh, he's got a sense of humor about it. Good. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Um, 
I just wanted to interject an um there. Um, the, the, the Metro <laughs> IHOP. I'm not enough of them in this. Yeah, and it was an yet. excellent, excellent um. Thank you. Um, the IHOP thing reminded me. The only part of this movie that really a hundred percent took me out of the movie was Sears. Seven <laughs> Eleven. Oh, yeah, but the Sears especially. It looked almost like somebody had pasted a Sears logo. It's like get it in the center of the. Sc- it was just front and center Sears, and that was a that. No, I don't mind product placement. I understand the idea like of it in movies like this. To- you mean like throwing Zod into a giant Coca-Cola sign <laughs> or Superman crashing <laughs> yeah. into a Marlboro truck? I don't mind. No, I don't real, mind though. it. I don't mind any of that stuff. But sometimes it get because a lot of times I don't mind it. As a matter of fact, I like it because sometimes it'll take me out of it to see Coca-Cola or whatever no. you know. Soda cola. Yeah, it's just like yeah, hearing like phone numbers for five five five. You know, going that's not a real number, and so so sometimes I don't mind getting the product placement. It goes back to like Spielberg was the first one to do, and it makes it feel more real. But just some you can't get too ridiculous with it, or that's when it. And that Sears I, just made me go, oh oh, I wonder how much that Sears cost. You know. Well, they- they made a hundred and seventy million dollars in product placements for that film. Yeah, it, wow. really. Well, wow, wow. Yeah, that's that's, was, a, it, that's most of the the operating the budget. budget. Yeah. And yeah. to yeah, be fair, and to be fair, that was rather their point that it is real world. So they're trying. It's trying to sell the realism of the piece. And all I kept thinking of is I really would hate to be the guy that worked at that Sears that would have to clean up, you know, the appliances <laughs> department after Superman crashes. <laughs> However, that did lead to one of my favorite scenes in the movie of when Colonel Hardy, who is really, I, I think, uh, I, his name is blank, the du- Stabler. Chris from Maloney. SCU. Chris Get Maloney me. nailed that role when he goes, mm. this man is not a, this man is not a threat. I freaking cheered the first yeah. time. Yeah, that and was, then that you was heard great. that once again. And he's a really good actor, so that's yeah. what sold. And it. then as soon as as soon as you said that, you heard dong dong. See, I always picture him <laughs> in the movie Crash. I was, come, I was expecting him to come into the interrogation room and try to like slam Superman's <laughs> hand into the desk or something. Come on, talk, Kryptonian. <laughs> you touched her. Tell us where you touched her. <laughs> well, that's, it, it, that's show great. on the doll. Show on the doll. Show on Lois Lane where you touched her. Really? <laughs> now do it again. Wait, let me get my camera straight. Wait, wait. Let me try. Okay, I've got one quick question. Um, I really actually liked I was excited when I saw the title was Man of Steel. Uh, I guess because it obviously reminded me of the, the Burn series and all that. What do you think the sequel will be? Are we going to see a Man of Tomorrow? Uh, are we going to see something like that? Uh, I thought I heard they said it is going to be Man of Steel 2. That's what I would oh, really? think it would be. Man, Man of Steel 2. Mm. Man of Tomorrow is too Silver Age, don't you think? I think it sounds awesome. Yeah, I man. love the name. I love that title. I always liked it when they called him the Man of Tomorrow. Uh, but now when I think of it, when I hear that, <clears throat> which is too bad, I always, uh, now when I hear that name, I always go back to the uh, whatever happened to the Whatever Man happened, of yeah. 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 And, yeah. Which people keep putting on their top ten lists. And as a Silver Age guy... Who actually bought them for ten and twelve cents? That is not my favorite it way be, to end. The it's pretty age. brutal. It it's very get, brutal. 
I, I heard the plan is that the Trump third movie bit, is huh? going to be the Justice League. I don't have a problem with that. I don't think that they have to wait like they did with Marvel uh, no, and do all, all these individual characters because I think everybody knows Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Flash. We know these people. Let's get them together and let's let's blow some shit up. You had seven iterations of the Super Friends on television. You had... Yeah. You know, like five years of Justice League in the past, you know, in this century. In this century, the animated series. Yeah, the, these Plus, characters, this this is the, with Marvel because, I mean, let's face it, who outside of the people on this call in 2007 would have given a crap that they were making an Iron Man film? And it's only because Robert Downey Jr. played the hell out of that role. That it's the only reason I went to see it was Robert Downey. Downey Jr. The only reason I went to see the first Iron Man movie was Robert Downey Jr. I but outside of a catchy, a friend saw it and dragged, said, "Come on, you got to see this. It's I went great." To see it because it was fucking Iron Man, and he was going to be. But, but, as a, but, but outside, <laughs> outside of a catchy theme song, you know, the general public really didn't know who Iron Man was. They didn't really know who Thor was. With right. the Justice League, I completely agree with Bob. I think you can start ground zero at the Justice League, do two Superman films, do Justice League, see who pops from there, yes, and then do further films beyond that. I think doing, I think doing a third Superman film as the Justice League movie is a disservice to Superman. Um, Justice well, it, it, it could be Superman, Superman, well, Man of Steel, Man of Steel Two, Justice League. And then you still have the opening to make Man of Steel three. Yeah, it exactly. No, I, I I like it coming after the second Superman movie, Me but too. to make it the Superman movie, I think would be problematic. I love that I guy. Agree there. I agree. It should be on its own thing after the Man of Steel movies, especially after number yeah. two. Superman, do the Man of Steel number two, then reevaluate, and you could go from from that point. Superman will be well established, and you can take off, and he can do pretty much anything from that point. Uh, it could be a world's finest movie leading into a Justice League, but personally, I say hit the Justice League right after Man of Steel 2. Plus, the way Marvel did it, what is the likelihood that DC is now going to repeat that success where they're going to do five movies building up to it, and they're going to all be popular? <clears throat> no, I mean, it's not going to that. It's, a lot it, of time. Marvel got lucky that they managed to do that. <laughs> And at my age, I can't wait around for five, six, seven more movies before <laughs> Justice League. Let's get going, boys. Well, yeah, and also you sort of got to strike while the iron is hot, and who knows what pe what the demand for comic book movies will be five years from now. You yeah, know, yeah, we know mean, right now it's good. It's, but it's if the rumors the are correct, five, ten years anyway. I mean, we're, we're talking. You know, Downey Jr. just signed for Avengers two and three, and mm. they're going to be making if these things for. It must be if pretty the rumors are correct, they're going to strike while the iron is hot. They're, yeah, they're, they're moving on Man of Steel 2 pretty quick, right? They, they, they're talking about 2015, it's, yeah, which means they're putting it up against Avengers 2, and they're putting it up against the new Star Wars movie. So they, they have no, no lack of confidence in this. In this and story. I have problems with that. People say that you, know, you should space these, make sure that they don't go up against each other. I, have, I don't think that Iron I'll Man... go to all of them. Yeah. Makes yeah, expensive summer for me, but <laughs> because oh gee, this week Superman's coming out, and last week was Star Trek, and the week before that was something. That doesn't matter. We're there. We're going to see it, these. Exactly. We are, but is the average want person. it? We want them all. We yeah, want a million sure. of them. I, I think the average moviegoer wants to go see these things because summertime, you know, ever since Jaws, it's movie. That's what we were. That's what we were trained to do as moviegoers. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, they're exactly. yeah. It's societal now. I mean, it's we're all going to the movies. Just it's yeah. droves. And the fact that that they have seventeen-year-old ticket takers who look at anybody with gray hair and think they're a senior citizen. I'm getting into these movies half price, even though I'm not anywhere near the age yet. Well, I haven't tried to I that one. gray hair going, so. I think Bill and I are going to start putting some gray in our hair when we go to the film. Put it in. I'm telling you. Do the Reed Richards sideburns. I I, I already got this Reed Richards sideburns starting. Oh, okay. (laughs) My beard is is gray, so that's... A little tremor in your hand when you hand them the money. (laughs) That's it. I'm telling you. The the only thing I was disappointed with in a demographics-wise is the theater I went to were selling Man of Steel t-shirts and... They're, I'm like, well, do you have any two XLs? They're like, no. I'm like, you don't understand your audience at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not a lot of fit people sitting around, and right? <laughs> Exercising to their Superman videos. Well, I think we should. Uh, although this, I can think of like a dozen more topics. I think we should oh, maybe talk all night on this. We should. Yeah. We should we wrap it up in certain. Didn't even mention the costume. And that was the biggest hubbub when the vault picture first came out. The trunks are no trunks. And unfortunately, and I'll give a little secret here, I'm the one that on the Superman homepage did a little uh, histogram of that picture and pointed out that if you click in a certain area of the crotch area, Photoshop shows it as red. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah you, you know maybe i'll maybe i'll do a little color tweaking on it see if i can't get it but to me it's like the pyramid of you know how like human beings have the pyramid of needs where it's like once you get food and shelter and all that you can start working on the society higher, and yeah. the higher things like that yeah that. so with like a superman movie it's like once the writing directing and acting if you get all those things going good that's when i'm gonna start turning my eye of sauron to the costume and going okay do i like the costume or not yeah but i never got past like the writing and the directing and this to make the costume come into my radar of like i'd like it or don't like it you know you know the only thing i would have added to the costume or taken away or whatever changed if any and this is minor because overall i've really grown to like the new suit i would have made the yellow in the shield on his chest a little brighter because there were times when he turned around and faced the camera that i just wanted that s to pop off of his chest just boom just pop and several times it didn't it was very dark and very muted and almost looked black behind it Um, but other than that i don't miss the the trunks i don't miss I thought the suit looked really good, and I was the glad that the amazing. red actually looked red, mm-hmm. and the cape was phenomenal. One of my problems with, again, Superman Returns was that it looked like the cape was wearing Ralph, not the other way around. The cape this in this time, was pure CGI. It yeah, was, he never wore a cape. It was beautiful. It was absolutely gorgeous. I think they did a terrific job with the CGI on this. That uh, and in, well, some scenes he actually did have a red cape on, and they had a guy in a green suit holding the cape and fluttering it against the green screen. So uh, that was a human moving that cape around. But I thought it looked beautiful in the CGI scenes and the flights and the walking out of the the, the fortress. He was wearing the cape, not the cape wearing him. Uh, it just that's what I loved about Christopher Reeve. Christopher Reeve owned his costume. He owned that suit. He wore it as if it was part of him. And I think uh, Cavill did the same thing here, that uh, 
in spite of the darker colors, in spite of the few things that we have some problems with, uh, from the time he walked on the screen, uh, he was Superman. And I didn't think twice during the movie about, gee, I wish he had a bright blue suit on. It never occurred to me, actually, during the movie. I kind of had the same experience. Also had that with Amazing Spider-Man last year, where I hated the costume in the promotional oh, stills. Yes, but, but in I the movie. accepted it in the movie, yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a promotional still of any superhero movies where I like the costume. I think they, they all, I like them moving in the movie, but I... They always I, look every, stilted in the, in the promotional yeah. shots to me. And the actors yeah. do. Cavill... Cavill yeah. looked to Iron me Man. like kind of a douchey. His hair looked kind of Elvisy, and he looked yeah, just like kind shot. of a douchey, yeah. like C- GQ model guy. And he looked too pointy. His face was kind of too pointy and stuff. But in the movie, when he's moving and talking and and acting, he's he's Clark Kent and he's Superman. Mm. It, it felt totally natural and good. Yeah, I, like I thought he was Superman. Of Iron Man and Thor before they came out. Mm-hmm. For, mm-hmm. what it's worth so let's um let's go back around the same way and everybody get give a little <clears throat> 20 30 second finishing su- summation of what they what they thought you know their their final verdict starting with you scott yes. well as i said overall I'm definitely above uh you know past the 50 percent line between love and hate it was uh it was a good time and worth the money and you know it's not your father's superman which is actually my superman but um it's not trying to be which is cool and it's uh you know good cast and uh, you know i have lots of things i can nitpick with the writing and uh i will for months with you probably uh (laughs) but i'm looking forward to the next one as long as they keep you know, I actually don't care if they keep the team other than the actors and, and some good producers. Uh, I'd actually love to see stuff in other people's hands than Zack Snyder's, although I think he did a really good job. Um, I, I really would love to hear something from someone other than David Goyer for a change on <laughs> DC's side of the storytelling thing. So, But it won't happen. Here, here. Uh, I'm sure Goyer's... You know, in for the long haul, right through the the Justice League, just like Snyder is. So I'm gonna, you know, keep throwing them my money, and hopefully I'll be entertained. All right, Paul. I think that this movie, you know, you say sink or swim. It swam on the strength of its cast. I think with a lesser cast, I would not have liked this movie because uh, there were some problems with the script. But I think the movie overall overcame all the problems with the script. Uh, and, and I mean, I know, uh, Scott didn't do it last time around. We gave, uh, ratings one to 10. I'm giving this a solid seven. I really enjoy oh. it. I can pop in and give mine if you want. Well, what would your number be? Uh, I'd go between seven and eight on this. I had a good enough time. Not that anybody else has to give a number, but you can, if you want. <laughs> All right. Um, Chris Warden. I think the movie was fine. His. I think it's a better sci-fi movie than a Superman movie. I've I've had people ask me about it. Um, I tell them make up their own decision. My recommendation is either way. Um, I've had diehard Marvel fans look at me. He says I pity you, Superman fans, on this movie. So 
That's my. I pity the Superman fools. <laughs> All right, Scott Riffin. Hang on, sorry, I had to unmute there. Uh, Henry Cavill finds Superman. There's not much else I'll say nice about this movie, and it's a movie that I paid money to really like. And uh, throughout the course of our discussion, I didn't even get a chance. To, I mean, again, there was just there was no sense of wonder to me. There was no sense of joy. There was no sense of awe. And I didn't even get a chance to lay into Hans Zimmer, which I'll do at some other point, I guess. But uh, if i got to give it a number, I'm giving it a three. Ooh, Wow. I knew there was, I knew we were gonna get a spread. Okay, Doctor Bill. All right. Well, I guess with everyone's help, maybe I've come a little further in my stages of grief, and I guess I'm kind of coming to uh, acceptance. But if I have an overall rating, I I think I'm only going to give this a six. It's a, I mean, a lot a lot like what what Christopher said is that it was a better, I would say in some aspects a science fiction movie or a fantasy movie than it was a Superman movie. But, but again, going along with Mike, you know, I'm, I'm in my own church of Superman. So, uh, so yeah, right now I'm giving it a six. Um, I did about the Hans Zimmer score. There's really only one track because I actually bought, bought the soundtrack cause I wanted to kind of d- dive a little further into some, s- into some of the tracks, and there's really only one I like, and that's the last one, which is kind of like the one that's out of the last trailer, uh, with with the heavy drums at the end and uh, opening with the piano. But other than that, really, a lot of the other uh, of the soundtrack is is not that. It's just not not there for me. So six overall, and that's what that's what I'm giving it. All right, hair metal hero. Um, I think it's a good start. It definitely, it's a series I I do want to see continue because I did like the cast. Uh, There's things that they need to address. Um, I think it's a movie just, uh, if it looks interesting to you, go see it and make up your own damn mind. And uh, if I was going to give it a number rating, uh, um, I can't can't give it an 8, but I think 6 is too low. So uh, let me slap a 7 on there. 7, all right. All right, Bob. Whoops, mute button. <coughs> um, yeah. Uh, well, first I want to say uh, uh, thanks to Scott Gardner for suggesting that I am uh, that I take part into this. And Chris, thanks for inviting me. This oh, was no uh, this was a fun evening, and I totally enjoyed the hell out of this, and would do it at a drop of a hat. Maybe I should start my own little podcast. I love this. But the movie. I give it a good solid eight and a half. I uh, I enjoyed it. I think there's some real nits to pick, and uh, I can pick them with the best of them. But it didn't really um, take away my enjoyment of this movie. Uh, a lot like Michael, after everything I've been through in the Superman world all these years, I had pretty much resigned myself to the fact that my Superman, uh, we're just not going to see him anymore. It's just not going to happen. Um, but this guy was really, really good. I love the cast. I even liked Kevin Costner. And, uh, even as someone my age, when he said, you are my son, I choked up, I teared up. Uh, I think that the underneath all of the rubble of this movie 
there's a tender, wonderful little story that um, that most people should just really love this story. The basic story of Superman is intact in this movie, in spite of the cracking of a neck at the end, which I had to come to terms with. And then when I realized nobody around me until I got online, that didn't bother them. It bothered it's a me. Snapping but, of a neck. It, uh, yeah, breaking of a neck. A cra- I crack my neck when I wake up every morning. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. No controversy over that. Yeah, he snapped the hell out of that yeah. neck. Uh, and we still don't know what happened to the body. But Man of Steel number two, I guess, will tell us. But oh, un- once again, thanks a lot for inviting me here to the- take part in this. Uh, I had as much fun here as I did watching the movie. So thanks a lot. Hey, thank you for showing up. Anytime, anytime, like, like, there's some sort of like. That's how we. That's how we get a lot of people on the show. Is they, they we end up ar- start arguing with them on the internets and then be like, get on the show. <laughs> well, well, I think the last time when I was. That's how the Vault of Startling Monster was... Horror Tales got started. <laughs> Terrific idea. <laughs> me and me and Luke Jack and Eddie. Oh yeah. Yelling at each other about whether the Beatles were a good band or not. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. All right, Dave Atterbury. Hey, uh, I too want to thank everybody for having me on. It's always a pleasure to be here. Um, Thanks for being had. We love you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, for me, uh, again, like I said, uh, I came into it pretty. Um, I didn't have any preconceived notions of what it would be. Um, I had a good time. Um, the movie resonated with me. I think because uh, I don't know how many of you know this about me. I, I'm also uh, I'm adopted, so I've lived life with two fathers, and so oh. whenever I see something like that going on, I, I want to I, make I, that point too. Actually, Dave, not to interrupt, but I'm adopted also. Yeah. What? So am I. Yeah. yeah. What the hell's going on here? And in particular, when he told <laughs> I, I Martha that he found so. his other parents was. Wow, a third yeah. of our group, a quarter. Well, Interesting. I, yeah. Actually, I was adopted by my stepdad in the sixth grade. Wow. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'm in the yeah, minority. I was Dr. raised by my parents. My apologies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get him! <laughs> Maybe we have to redefine what a traditional family is. Um, <laughs> oh, 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 God. Yeah, Mike, just put that up on your board, and we'll all start arguing on that. (laughs) (laughs) And forgive me, Dave. Continue. Oh, no. (laughs) Okay, please. No, and so I just, for me, yeah, it's, uh, um, I had a good time. I liked the movie, and uh, uh, if you'd asked me when I walked out of the theater the first time, I probably would have, you know, spat out a 10, just riding that high. You know, I've, I've come to see both sides of, of the arguments about the movie, and, and I uh, really appreciate the insights from all of you guys that, that come from that, that comic book background. And so uh, my final verdict for now is is, is a nine. So. Ooh, wow. Yeah. You're the high score so far. Yeah. All right, so the spread now is what? Three, three to nine? Three to nine. Three to nine. All right, um, David Weeder. Yeah, for me, it's it's been this odometer of where I put the movie but I think at this point I am at a solid 7 because there were so many really good scenes and such a great cast and finally in Henry Cavill we have somebody 
who we haven't seen for decades, who just walks in and owns this role, you know, mm-hmm. top to bottom. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for that alone, it's already raised its profile. And just kind of getting around the, the killing, once I accepted that and then I could go back and visit the rest of the movie, it's a solid movie. Is it the Superman movie I wanted? Not really. But it's it's a different take. And over the years, I think my my enjoyment of the movie will increase. Jonathan Kreitz. I uh, would say that I like this a lot more than Iron Man 3. I'd say I liked it better in Star Trek Into Darkness, the other two uh, blockbuster movies from the summer that I've seen. I would have to give it probably an 8 out of 10. I I really did enjoy the movie. It's not perfect. Uh, There's still some things I'm trying to figure out how I feel, you know, ultimately about. But overall, I really enjoyed it. Um, We didn't really talk much about the, the final scene with Clark joining the planet, but I thought that was, uh, you know, a great little, a great little scene to, to end the movie on. Uh, it had me really looking forward to the future. So, uh, you know, for seeing Kal-El and Clark become Superman, cause he really isn't Superman. I would say even until maybe that very, very, very end of the movie. Um, you know, I really liked it. All right. Chris Honeywell, what did you think? I'm glad you asked me, Chris, because I've been chomping at the bit to tell people what I think. (laughs) Um, There's like three ways that I could have judged this movie. And one is as purely as a piece of film. Like, is this a good film or not? Which isn't fair because it's a summer sci-fi blockbuster, basically. So I scrapped that. Then is this a Superman film? And then I'm not steeped in, you know, I have my own, that just brings into my own perceptions of Superman. And and like that, in that case, it would get maybe like a two, a one or a two from me, you know, as a Superman movie. But I'm going to judge it just on judging, trying to put a number on my viewing experience, you know, from when I sat down in the seat to when I walked out. And the thing about the movie was I felt... It was like a standard, it was a a workmanlike summer blockbuster with sort of like Star Trek, only the style wasn't as bubbly, but there was a style, a stylistic summer blockbuster that got it done, but at the same time, at no point in it did I ever feel like I wanted to storm out of the theater but at the same point I never felt that I wanted to jump out of my seat and go yeah or walked out with that shot of a you know that shot of adrenaline or that that point where you just uh, like a laugh is pulled out of you or a gasp or something it was the action was interesting the actual the like one scene where Superman disintegrates a girder as Zod's swinging it at it I was just like wow, that's really cool superhero moment. But there wasn't that, woo, wahoo, you know, everybody just saw something that's great moment to it. And when it was all done, it was like, okay, this this was an acceptable movie. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like it's going to have that iconic, you know, it's going to stick with me for years. It's going to be like one of those movies where I'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember seeing that. And it was and I'll have some scenes that I thought this was quite good. And and this I didn't like and the controversy and blah, blah, blah. But for the most part, it doesn't 
feel like it's that you know a groundbreaking anything it was just an acceptable summer movie and which cuz you could take it as disappointing or whatever i take it as actually that's quite an accomplishment coming from Zack Snyder who i think is one of the most insanely um overhyped pieces of cinematic shit monster <laughs> fuck wad piss merchants that i've ever seen so in that regard five is a wonderful score but it's just sort of a you know a midland midland thing so some some people are gonna like it some people are gonna hate it but i don't think anybody it's going to at least for me it's not it's not not gonna be something that like the avengers that I'm gonna every couple years gonna be like, oh, pull out the Avengers. I gotta gotta get a little taste of that again. Interesting. And to wind it all up, the man with the last word, Michael Bailey. What this film did right is that unlike Superman Returns, I did not think halfway through it. I'm not enjoying this as much as I wanted to. Uh, I enjoyed it exactly as much as I wanted to, and on that, it was a success. Uh, it was hampered by shoddy writing and some inconsistent directing, uh, which is why I'm giving it an 8 out of 10. Because it, it, it's, like I said, it's not a perfect Superman film, but they have yet to make the perfect Superman mm. film. Uh, at least at n- no point in this film Superman. did he and Lois fly around with bad poetry being recited in the background. So uh, on that, I, I thought it was success as well. And this was a lot of fun. I, I, I was expecting more of a street fight, and we actually had a conversation. Yeah, at no point was... What do you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're all right. Fuck you. And no forced kiss. You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Visit our brand new website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Join our forum at ForumForGeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find 2TrueFreaks on Facebook. Just search for 2TrueFreaks. 
And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. We were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.